leading the right out of the ashes. This is The Right Take. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number President Trump, episode number 45. I'm Eric Lindrum. I'm Jacob Grandseth. And it is finally here, guys. We promised it several weeks ago, and we are beginning our special one-year 2020 election anniversary episode. What better way to talk about the 2020 election, of course, than to focus on the voter fraud. And I'm so glad that I know I can say that phrase as many times as I want now in this episode, knowing we are not going to post this on YouTube, and thus we won't have to make any edits to please Susan Wojcicki and her bosses at Google and Alphabet and the rest. We are going to go state by state. This is going to be a very, very comprehensive episode. We're going to first look at, we're going to get the circumstantial evidence out of the way first. We're going to look at the historical patterns and trends that were just completely shattered by 2020, which would have seemed to suggest in those weeks and months leading up to the election that Trump was going to get reelected, probably in a landslide. We're going to look at circumstantial evidence first. We're going to look at broader evidence on the national scale, and we are going to look state by state at all of the major battleground states. I will come right out and say I do think Trump legitimately won and it was stolen from him. But again, that is why we are here to go over the evidence bit by bit by bit. So for the broad overview of the election, let's first look at the numbers that are given to us as told by our elites. Official tallies record 161.3 million votes cast in the year 2020. Donald Trump got 75 million, which was 12.1 million above the total he got in 2016, which is the vote most votes ever received by an incumbent president and the most votes ever received by a Republican candidate. Joe Biden got 81.2 million votes, the highest ever for anyone who has sought the presidency. The previous record for that was in 2008, when Barack Obama was elected to his first term with 69.5 million votes, with, of course, a fellow by the name of Joe Biden as his vice president. In the Electoral College, Joe Biden got 306 Electoral College votes to Trump's 232. People pointed out that this was a complete flip from the 2016 electoral total when Trump got 306 to Hillary's 232. And the individual vote totals behind that victory show an amazingly slim margin of victory for Biden. The crucial Electoral College states that ultimately gave him the election were Arizona with 11 Electoral College votes, Georgia with 16, and Wisconsin with 10. That is, of course, a total of 37 electoral votes, and he won these three states by a combined margin of 43,809 votes, which essentially means that the dif which this made all the difference. This made all the difference between what would have been an electoral college victory for Joe Biden or a tie, a dead tie in the electoral college, which would have kicked it over to the House of Representatives, which votes people don't know this. They don't vote by just the number of members in the House per party, which people would say, oh, of course, Democrats have the House, which means Biden would win. No, they go by state delegation and by the state, whichever state has a majority of members in its delegation by party. So say Texas has, I don't know, 30 Republicans and eight Democrats or something like that, something along those lines. Republicans control the delegation of that state, so they would vote to ultimately send electors that would support Republicans, in this case, Donald Trump. So when you look at the control of state delegations by party, Trump would have won. So it's it's a little complicated. People don't really know that. You know, it's the, the real nitty gritty of the electoral process is very, very convoluted. The founding fathers made it that way, so it wouldn't be too simple. 
our methodology for how we're going to look at this. We are going to first focus on media reports and eyewitness claims of fraud, audits, recounts, and voter fraud investigations. And then we are subsequently going to take it swing state by swing state where Trump, quote unquote, lost. And we will cover all relevant articles, reports, hearings, recounts, audits. There's a difference between recounts and audits, and we'll get into that in a moment. Investigations and lawsuits. We will focus ultimately on Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Minnesota, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Nevada. So first, I want to point to a very crucial question that has been asked every four years, certainly when a president is up for re-election, but in general. Famously, it originated with Ronald Reagan in the one and only debate he had with Jimmy Carter in the 1980 presidential election, where he asked, are you better off now than you were four years ago? Ever since that iconic question, which many people attribute to cite that as a key moment that a lot of people just threw in the towel and said, okay, screw this. We're going to vote for Ronald Reagan because you know what? Jimmy Carter sucked after four years. Every four years, starting in 1984, Gallup, the pollster of all pollsters, would ask this question, usually in October of an election year, so right before the election. The previous record on this question for the highest percentage of voters who said, yes, I am better off now than I was four years ago, was 44% who said yes to that question in 2004 when George W. Bush was up for re-election. And of course, he ultimately did win a narrow re-election over John Kerry that year. On October 9th, Gallup 2020, Gallup released their poll for that election year between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. They asked Americans, are you better off now than you were four years ago? And keep in mind, this is asked after the lockdowns, the COVID lockdowns and the massive crash in the economy we had as a result. This was after race riots, which further you know burned down cities all across the country and further damaged the economy and crushed small businesses and everything else in between. In that poll, 56% of Americans said, yes, I am better off than I was four years ago. Even after everything that happened in 2020, as disastrous as it was, 56% said they were better off under Trump than they were four years ago when Obama left office. That, of course, smashes the previous record that Bush held with 44% by 12 whole points and is the first time ever that an outright majority, 50% or more, said yes to this question. That right there just should point to Trump easily winning re-election because you do not simply have 56% of people say, yes, I am better off now than I was four years ago, but then 51% turn around and ultimately vote for Joe Biden over Donald Trump, which is uh, the margin. You got 51.3% of the popular vote. That just does not make any sense, honestly. Enthusiasm. And of course, it goes without saying, people try to talk about, oh, Trump's base was demoralized compared to 2016 because he didn't live up to all his promises, supposedly. That is absolute garbage. And certainly it does not stack up against when you compare him to Joe Biden and the enthusiasm or severe lack thereof for his campaign. A very reliable pollster that got a lot of things right in 2020 was a pollster called the Democracy Institute, which is headed by Patrick Basham, who would frequently release their polls in conjunction with the uh, Daily Express, the Daily Express newspaper, which is, a, I believe, a UK paper. And they asked, they had their final poll released on November 1st, two days before the election. And among the other major numbers that are here that point to a Trump victory, the enthusiasm gap. Question, are you strongly or very enthusiastic about your choice of candidate? 52% of Biden, Biden voters said yes versus 86% of Trump voters. That's a 34-point gap. The enthusiasm gap is especially key here, and that enthusiasm gap was also similar in 
2016, Trump versus Hillary, although I think the margin was smaller because more people say what you want about Hillary and how horrible she was. There were more people genuinely excited for Hillary because, of course, she was a woman and she would have been the first female president. People then try to hit back. This is another thing we got to knock down. People always try to say, oh, there may not have been enthusiasm for Biden, but there was enthusiasm to get rid of Trump. I would simply ask that of those people, okay, then how did Trump win in 2016? If the whole, oh, Trump is horrible, he's terrible, people hate him and just want to get rid of him, why did Trump win in the first place? And again, you can't argue, oh, Hillary was terrible, because again, there was more enthusiasm for Hillary than there was for Joe Biden. So that does not hold up, and enthusiasm was clearly on Trump's side going into this re-election. Another major indicator that Trump was going to win the election is his primary performance, which is often cited as the major manifestation of the said enthusiasm we just talked about, which alongside his rallies, again, you look at any of those Trump rallies still drawing out tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people and try to say with a straight face, compare that to Joe Biden's parking lot rallies of like 10 people. There's just no contest there. It's a fact. It is a historical fact that incumbent presidents who face little to no opposition in their primaries always win. Always. In 2020, Trump got 93.99% of the primary vote, which is the fourth highest ever for an incumbent president in American history. He is only behind uh, Woodrow Wilson, the Democrat, in 1916, and Ronald Reagan in 1984, who both got 98.8% each those respective years, 1916 for Wilson and 1984 for Reagan. And then George W. Bush in 2004, who got 98.1%. Trump also in 2020 broke the record for the highest amount of votes ever received by an incumbent president in any primary in any primary season for either party this was despite his lack of opposition there was no serious candidate running against him and he still crushed it he previously set the record for the highest vote total received by the winner of a republican presidential primary in 2016 with 14 million in 2020 he got 18.1 million on a side note when it comes to key st swing states he also broke the record for the highest vote total ever received by an incumbent president in new hampshire with 130,000. that's almost twice the previous record which was bill clinton's 77,000 in 1996. keep in mind by the way this primary record he smashed was even after a handful of states canceled their primaries altogether out of support for trump's candidacy just say we're not even going to bother spending the money to hold a primary and the resources and the time because he's going to be our nominee these states were Alaska, Arizona, Hawaii, Kansas, Nevada, South Carolina, Virginia, and New York. Virginia and New York especially are huge. Keep in mind, in the Democratic primaries that year, Joe Biden, in a competitive primary, got 19 million votes. So if you factor in those states that canceled their Republican primaries for Trump, especially New York and Virginia, you better believe Trump would have matched that and surpassed that. Trump basically got more votes in his uncontested primary than Joe Biden did in his contested primary, which, of course, further translates to, obviously, Trump winning the election because, again, the enthusiasm gap. When you especially consider the fact that competitive primaries usually sink the candidate in that respective party. Joe Biden only got 51.8% of the primary vote. He had. He was up against Bernie Sanders. He was up against Warren and Buttigieg, Bloomberg of all people, Klobuchar. And close primaries absolutely have sunk challengers and have sunk incoming presidents too. The biggest examples in modern times being, of course, Gerald Ford in 76, who was challenged by Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter in 1980, who was challenged by Ted Kennedy, and in 1992, George H.W. Bush, who was challenged by Pat Buchanan. This also, of course, lines up in with history in terms of a president's overall vote totals. 
that presidents usually get reelected winning more popular votes than they did last time. And again, Trump got more primary votes than he did in 2016. Only four times ever in American history has a president gained more popular votes overall, but then lost reelection. That was John Quincy Adams in 1828, Martin Van Buren in 1840, Grover Cleveland in 1888, and Donald Trump, quote unquote, losing in 2020. You can, of course, write off Adams and Van Buren as, okay, those were two of America's earliest presidents. And that was when the country was still growing. Its population was still growing. It was a new nation. So population growth, you can easily write that off. So then realistically, you only have two presidents who really, with a substantial, a very steady population, gained votes and then lost re-election. And that, of course, is Cleveland and Trump. And we all know what happened with Cleveland, of course. He, quote unquote, lost another, another very shady election to Benjamin Harrison. He came back in 1892 and ultimately was re-elected in a rematch against Harrison. So, and of course, there is talk of Trump possibly running again in 2024 to basically pull a Grover Cleveland. And we got to tie that into as well, scholarly models that follow this. One prominent example is Helmut Norpoth, Professor Helmut Norpoth at Stony Brook University's primary model, which looks and analyzes, which looks at and analyzes primary performance. And it uses that, it kind of runs that through an algorithm to determine who will win the election based on the primary performances of the two main parties. He first put this model to the test in real time in 1996 to predict the outcome of that election, Bill Clinton versus Bob Dole, and he got it right. And subsequently, every election since then, he got every single election right except for 2000, which, of course, there certainly is speculation that potentially that was a case of Republicans successfully stealing the election when George W. Bush stole it from Al Gore. So he then retroactively used this model and to and input all the primary data dating back to 1912, all the way up through 2016 up to that point. And once again, the model retroactively correctly predicted every election from 1912 to 2016 with two exceptions. Those exceptions, 2000 and 1960, Nixon versus Kennedy, another election where it is now we look back on and widely agree there definitely was voter fraud that swung, particularly the states of Texas and Illinois, away from Nixon and Kennedy, which ultimately did give him the Electoral College victory. Prior to 2020, Norpoth predicted using the primary model that Trump would win re-election, garnering likely around 362 electoral votes. Another major model that has been used to correctly predict most presidential elections is Professor Alan Lichtman's Keys to the White House. And I will have I have a lot of fun breaking this one down. It's a list of 13 true or false statements. If six or more of the statements are false, the model predicts that the incumbent president will lose re-election. Now, keep in mind, Norpoth is actually a more uh, nonpartisan professor. He actually does his job as a real scholar should. Lichtman is a hardcore leftist, so he did let his personal biases get in the way of, of his own determinations with this model. His 2020 prediction claimed that there were seven false statements in these 13 keys, when in reality, you actually look at them from an objective standpoint, unlike this biased leftist loser, there were only maybe three or four false statements. So by statements, you just mean statements about the election, like uh, like the, I guess a statement about an election would be, did this candidate win this many swing states, like that, that type no, of No, 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 prior to the election. This is used to predict an election. So statements about the, the general political state of the country, like sociopolitical economic states and stuff like that. Oh, like did, did riots break out? Did, did, yes, okay. yes. Mm -hmm. So technically speaking, there were three statements that he was correct in saying these are false and they are knocks against Trump. Midterm gains. After the midterm elections, the incumbent party holds more seats in the House of Representatives than after the previous midterm elections. This is false. Of course, the Republicans did lose seats in the 2018 election. Short, Strong short-term economy. The economy is not in recession during the election campaign. Obviously, that is false because of the COVID lockdowns, a very uh, man-made artificial recession, but a recession nonetheless. 
No social unrest. There is no un sustained social unrest during the term. Obviously, that is also false because we had the race riots, the Black Lives Matter riots, the St. George Floyd of fentanyl riots, all that fun stuff. So that's three false statements. <clears throat> However, Lichtman incorrectly states that the long-term economy was also weak under Trump. This is similar to the short-term economy. It asks strong long-term economy, real per capita economic growth during the term equals or exceeds mean growth during the previous two terms. Now that is correct. Trump did see a stronger economy under his four years, or at least the first three years prior to the COVID lockdowns. And of course, you remember a lot of people on the left were saying, oh, that's just the Obama economy. He just inherited the economy from Obama, but the stock market kept going up. The jobless numbers kept going. The unemployment number actually went down with the labor force going up. It wasn't the unemployment numbers going down because people were dropping out of the labor force. It was actual real economic growth. Yeah, so, I mean, people do that. The, the supporters of the previous president do that all the time. I remember Clinton supporters when Bush got in, they were um, saying well, this is because of Clinton. <laughs> exactly. Economy. Yep. And Lickman claimed, oh, no, this is false. There was no strong long-term economy. So that's objectively false. He also points to the foreign policy. Major foreign slash military success. The incumbent administration achieves a major success in foreign or military affairs. He claims this is false. He claims that Trump had no major foreign policy victories during his four years in office. So I guess completely wiping out ISIS, successfully negotiating with North Korea for the first time in modern American history, withdrawing us successfully from Syria, and all the Abraham Accords, the four different peace agreements between Israel and Arab states, all of those, I guess, just don't count as foreign policy victories, right, Jacob? I, I guess, you know, at the very least, ISIS. Destroying ISIS should count as a major victory. No, we didn't beat a country. We didn't win a war, per se. But ISIS was a big deal that dominated Obama's second term. It forced us to go back into Iraq. Their leader, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, was famously killed by Conan the warrior dog. And we completely restored stability, at least to Syria. So he, he's claiming that Trump had no military or policy, foreign policy victories at all. No, none whatsoever. He knock, he claims that is false, which, again, he claims is a knock against Trump. So that, that just proves his bias right there. I don't, but, yeah, I don't know exactly what he's looking for. I mean, is he – I guess pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord in his mind would negate all the uh, – I guess destroying ISIS and all and the Abraham Accords and everything else that Trump did. And if you look at Trump's foreign policy from a neoliberal Wilsonian perspective, then I can see how you could say, yeah, he had no foreign policy – accomplishments at all but yeah. it's it's uh from a personal bias exactly it translates to he had no personal or he had no foreign policy victories that line up with our agenda so that's why he says that two more he <clears> claims <throat> that trump was not a charismatic incumbent the statement being quote charismatic incumbent the incumbent party candidate is charismatic or a national hero okay you can say the left was just frothing at the mouth over how much they hated trump but you cannot claim with a straight face trump is not charismatic to his base he's not charismatic to the half of the country that supports him to Uncharismatic would suggest uh, George Bush Sr., you know, or arguably a Joe Biden, because he did acknowledge the same statement. Uncharismatic challenger, the challenging party candidate, is not charismatic or a national hero. He acknowledged that is true in, in the case of Joe Biden. To claim that J Donald Trump is not charismatic is just further, you know, it's ignorance. It's either just refusing to accept that this guy who is against you politically is charismatic and you're just going to you know, cross your arms like a little kid. Therefore, other people must not like him. You know, it's, it's, or it's either that, it's either just ignorance, partisan ignorance, or it's just further misunderstanding Trump's appeal. And then lastly, the scandal question. No scandal. The incumbent administration is untainted by major scandal. Now, of course, we can look back and, de and debunk every single quote-unquote scandal 
in the Trump presidency, his tax returns never being revealed, which that's not a scandal. It's just, you know, he, he won't reveal them. Stormy Daniels, remember that? You know, that kind of didn't go anywhere. That one crazy lady who randomly accused Trump of rape in 2020 and then kind of disappeared. Um, the whole Biden-Ukraine thing, which, if anything, that was just Trump trying to investigate a real scandal on the part of Joe Biden with his son Hunter. And they and Democrats said, no, you can't investigate our guy. We're going to impeach you. The whole Russia collusion obviously turned out to be false. We're seeing that continue to collapse right now with the John Durham investigation. There was no real scandal, but the media, of course, being in the pocket of the left, successfully portrayed it as, oh, this is a scandal-ridden presidency. There's a scandal every other week. So if you want to chalk it up to say, like, okay, the media perception of a scandal is there, sure. We can go ahead and give them that. That's what I mean by three or four. There's three objectively false statements in these keys, and go ahead and just give them a fourth for the sake of it. But even if you give them that fourth one, the scandals, that is still only four false statements. His model says six false statements or more they lose. There are only four false statements here. So by his own model, he correctly he ended up predicting that Trump would win. He just he was just too stupid to realize it. Well, before you get into the bellwether states and counties, just so um, our audience is following along, I just want to go over what you covered so far, just to hit the basic the the main topics. So the Gallup poll, you got the Gallup poll. Fifty six percent of Americans right before the election, less than a month before the election, say that they're better off under Trump. Yep. And there's the the idea that there wasn't enthusiasm for Biden, but there was enthusiasm for getting rid of Trump. That's um, obviously there was more enthusiasm on the Democratic side to vote against Trump than for Biden. That's clear. But whether or not there was enough enth enthusiasm to get rid of Trump to you know, produce 81 over 81 million uh, votes is another story entirely. Then there's Trump's primary performance. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the, the history, the uh, historical trends in terms of a president's overall vote totals. And only four times in American history has a president gained more popular votes overall and then lost reelection and then the scholarly models that you just referenced by Helmut Norpoth and Alan Lichtman. Correct. So, uh, and then, the, I mean, this is already quite a bit of overwhelming circumstantial evidence, but there, this is only, we're only halfway done with the circumstantial evidence. We're just getting started here, ladies and gentlemen. So for these next few factors, we want to turn to an absolutely incredible article from the Great Chronicles magazine. This is one of the best publications you could possibly read. On, on anything, on politics, on culture, they feature uh, great authors like Pat Buchanan and Michelle Malkin. And this article is by the aforementioned Patrick Basham of the Demo of Democracy Institute, who was uh, one of the most accurate pollsters in 2020. It's titled Biden's Inexplicable Victory. And he breaks this down so well, again, along the lines of lots of uh, predictive metrics, you know, like uh, enthusiasm and other things that we just talked about. But we're going to focus specifically on a handful of other things in this article, voter registration trends. Quote, historically, the registration by party trend is a very reliable predictor of the election outcome. New and crossover registrations are the best proxy for both voting intention and actual voting behavior. In 2020, Republicans achieved massive registration gains vis-a-vis -vis the Democrats across almost all competitive states. Notably, in 2020, voter registrations in the swing states of Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, won by Trump four years earlier, each trended toward more Republicans registering foreshadowing an even more favorable electoral environment for Trump than in 2016. The higher Republican registrations were the continuation of what happened in 2016. In Pennsylvania, for example, 2016 registrations had trended toward the Republicans in 60 of 67 counties. Unsurprisingly, when those newly registered voters cast their ballots, 62 of those 67 counties trended toward Trump, explaining his statewide victory over Hillary Clinton. But strangely, the same trend the same result in 2020. Statewide registration trended 3% to the Republicans between the two presidential elections. He's still talking about Pennsylvania here. With Republicans registering 242,000 net new voters compared to just 12,000 for the Democrats. 
242,000 net new Republicans for 12,000 net new Democrats. Quote, this gave the Republicans a massive 21 to 1 registration advantage over the Democrats in Pennsylvania between 2016 and 2020. Hence, last year saw 60 of 67 Pennsylvania counties trend toward the Republicans in registration for telling a larger Trump win statewide than in 2016. However, when the ballots were cast, only 20 of those 67 counties trended toward Trump, which is the opposite of what one would expect. The official results reported Biden winning Pennsylvania with 50.01% of the recorded votes. And this was seen in every state. Every state, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, certainly Florida, they trended heavily towards Trump. And yet some of these states obviously did go for Trump by big margins, Ohio, Florida, Iowa, and others strangely lost. And this also ties in real quick to geographic relevance as well. The Rust Belt. You do not have states like Ohio and Iowa both go for Trump by eight points each. In Iowa, that was down just slightly from his 10-point margin of victory over Hillary in 2016. But you don't have states in the Rust Belt like Ohio and Iowa go for Trump that heavily. And then just across the way, you have Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, which border these states, narrowly go for Biden. The voting trends don't just stop at the state line. In these areas that are mostly the same demographics as the Rust Belt, the white working class, they are going to vote largely the same way. So that right there is also another discrepancy that is not accounted for by these trends. And I'll bring this up whenever we do the deep dive on Pennsylvania. But mm -hmm. yeah, notice the percentage is 50.01. You can't get any closer to 50% and still be above 50% than that. Exactly. This is crucial. Census Bureau data. Again, this is from the Chronicles article. Quote, in 2020, the Census Bureau found 5 million fewer voters than the number of ballots counted. Five million fewer voters than the total number of votes that were cast in 2020. So just to recap, going back to the very basics, 161.3 million votes were cast in 2020. And yet, according to the Census Bureau, they found only about 156 million voters. So that right there definitely doesn't add up. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to take a look at that and think, oh, there might be something wrong with this here election. So that is also highly suspicious. And they focus in particular on the state of Georgia as just one state-level example. Quote, the Census Bureau found 4.8 million voters in Georgia, but Georgia reported 5 million counted ballots. That, of course, is a margin of 200,000 extra ballots, more ballots than there are voters in the state of Georgia. And again, we'll come back to Georgia on a state-by-state -state basis in a bit, but just for context, Biden allegedly won the state of Georgia by less than 12 thousand votes over trump so obviously two hundred thousand extra ballots is assuming that most of those trend heavily for biden that's more than enough to swing the entire state in his favor another major indicator of presidential success of course is bellwether counties this was talked about very heavily in 2020 and to their credit you know wikipedia is of course running cover for the story oh this was a clean election it's false it's false every time they mention voter fraud they would say false claims debunked claims unsubstantiated claims baseless claims even Wikipedia was forced to acknowledge on their page on Bellwether counties that, yeah, the Bellwether counties all got it completely wrong in 2020, which, you know, that's certainly they, they don't go out of their way to say this is proof of voter fraud. But that by itself makes no sense when you look at the numbers here. Since 1980, 19 counties have voted correctly for the winner of every presidential election. This 40 year trend of accuracy, 10 presidential elections was completely unbroken until 2020. We're going to go down the list here. Washington County in the state of Maine, Essex County in Vermont, Otsego County in New York, Cortland County in New York, Ottawa County, Ohio, 
Wood County, Ohio, Shiawassee County, Michigan, Van Buren County, Michigan, Vigo County, Indiana, Sawyer County, Wisconsin, Juneau County, Wisconsin, Marquette County, Wisconsin, Richland County, Wisconsin, Bremer County, Iowa, Warren County, Illinois, Westmoreland County, Virginia, Valencia County, New Mexico, Hidalgo County, New Mexico, and Clallam County, Washington. In 2020, 18 of these 19 counties voted for Trump, and yet he still supposedly lost the election. Going back to the Chronicles article, quote, noteworthy too is Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, which has been won by the statewide winner in every presidential election since 1936. Republican candidates who have won Luzerne County have won the White House six out of seven times and have always won Michigan too. Also worth noting is Mahoning County, Ohio, which had only been won twice by a Republican candidate since 1936 until Trump carried the county in 2020. Oddly, Trump lost Mahoning County in 2016. In 1956, Eisenhower won Luzerne County and Mahoning Counties and won 41 states. In 1972, Richard Nixon also won both counties and won 49 states. Simply put, Republican presidential candidates have always won national elections when they win both of these counties. People may claim this is not proof in and of itself of voter fraud, but how do you have these long-standing geographical trends, these historical trends that have always dictated victory? Because the thing with these bellwether counties is they are not suddenly filled. They do not in four years go from being these moderate independent counties to all being full of, you know, gun-toting Trump voters. They still remained these swing bellwether counties that overwhelmingly back Trump. And by massive margins too, a lot of these counties didn't just go for Trump, you know, 50.1%. They went for Trump by double digits in a lot of cases. Next up along in that same vein as bellwether counties are bellwether states. Going back to the Chronicles article, since 1896, the winner of Ohio has won the presidency on all but two occasions. Trump easily won Ohio in 2020. As we pointed out, he won it by eight points in both 2020 and 2016, which by the way, his 2016 record was his 2016 margin of victory was the highest margin of victory in the state of Ohio for any presidential candidate since George H.W. Bush in 1988. Since then, it had been a much closer race every year between Clinton and Bush and Obama. So he won it by a landslide. Quote, when Ohio and Iowa have been won in tandem, as Trump did in 2020, the winner has won 24 of the past 26 presidential elections. 1944 and 1960 were the only exceptions. 1944 was when uh, Wendell Wilkie, or excuse me, 1944 was when uh, Thomas Dewey run. 1944, of course, was the fourth and final presidential election of Franklin Delano Roosevelt when he was challenged by Republican Thomas Dewey, who would go on to infamously lose the upset election of 1948 to Harry Truman. And the 1960 election was stolen from Nixon. Basham says it very plainly in this Chronicles article. When Florida, Iowa, and Ohio vote for the same presidential candidate, that candidate has won the White House 26 times. The two times the candidate won those three states and somehow didn't win was Nixon in 1960 and Trump in 2020. Trump did win Florida again in 2020, as people noted, by 3.3%, which by Florida standards is a landslide. That is the largest margin of victory for any presidential candidate in Florida since Bush Jr. in 2004. Their elections are always like 50 to 49 margins. They're Every governor, Senate, and president, they're always really close. So when you win Florida by that much, that really says something. He won both Iowa and Ohio by more than 8 percentage points, yet he apparently lost both Arizona and Georgia. Since 1932, when North Carolina and Florida have been won in tandem, as Trump did in 2020, North Carolina was the last state to be called, the candidate who won them has won the national election 17 out of 18 times, the exception being George H.W. Bush in 1992. When won together, 
Iowa, Ohio, and North Carolina have a perfect record of identifying the national presidential winner since 1896, Iowa, Ohio, North Carolina. That record, of course, was broken in 2020. Since 1932, Michigan and Pennsylvania have voted with Florida, whether Florida drifted Republican or Democratic. In 2020, Trump won Florida by a comfortable margin and a larger margin in 2016, yet he still allegedly did not win Michigan or Pennsylvania. And lastly, in 2020, Trump won Florida, Iowa, North Carolina, and Ohio before 2020 on the 13 occasions when those same candidates won those four states. That candidate would win the presidential election every single time out of those 13 times. Another key aspect to remember, of course, is the down-ballot factor. Now, usually, whichever candidate wins the presidential election, their party rides their coattails to ultimately gain seats in Congress, in both the House, the Senate, and across the country in legislative races and governor's races and what have you. Now, this was the other big shock of the 2020 election that even, of course, the mainstream media can't hide. Biden apparently won. He allegedly won the popular vote by this really big margin. Again, he supposedly won 81.3 million votes, which is the highest ever in American history. That's 7 million more votes than Trump got. And yet somehow not a single Republican in the House of Representatives lost re-election. And in fact, Republicans flipped 13 Democratic seats and they won all 27 toss-up contests. They ended up ultimately flipping 14 seats, which brought them to within just three seats of regaining the House majority. Okay, Biden was allegedly popular enough to beat Trump, and yet he couldn't carry any of these Democrats over the line. That just doesn't make sense whatsoever. That literally never happens. Furthermore, Trump's party did not lose a single state legislature whatsoever. And in fact, they actually flipped a couple of state legislative chambers where both the state Senate and state House representatives flipped from Democrat control to Republican control. That is extremely rare, even beyond just the regular U.S. House representatives. The state legislatures flipping from Democrat to Republican in a year that a Democrat supposedly won does not make sense. So next, we got to talk about the Big Four anomaly. This comes courtesy of Richard Barris of Big Data Poll, who is another very accurate pollster in 2020, by the way. He analyzed voter turnout in all of America's major urban centers across the country, and he reveals that Joe Biden underperformed Hillary Clinton in every major urban metro center in the entire country with just four exceptions. Those four are Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Detroit, Michigan, Atlanta, Georgia, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Huh, located in each of the four swing states. Interesting. Because the thing with these particular metro centers is you got to remember, these are the areas, these single cities that completely overrule the rest of the state. Like Chicago is a prime example. You have Illinois, Cook County. You take that out of the equation, Illinois is a deep red state. Same with Pennsylvania. That's what they usually do. Democrats will rely on. Let's get all these scattered rural white Trump voters from across the state. Get those numbers reported in first. And then we'll come in with our big dump from Philly. We'll come in with a great big vote dump from, uh, from Detroit. And usually that would be just barely enough to overrule the rest of the, the state. You look at the, the maps, for example, the maps are like Michigan, Pennsylvania. They're all red except for that one pocket of blue where, located where those cities are. This is an article with National File further documenting this, the findings of Richard Barris in conjunction with uh, Patrick Basham. Uh, the article notes from Patrick Basham at the Democracy Institute, quote, Trump won the largest non-white vote share for a Republican presidential candidate in 60 years, that being the highest since Nixon. 
Biden underperformed Hillary Clinton in every major metro area around the county, save for these four, Milwaukee, Detroit, Atlanta, Philadelphia. Robert Barnes, another noted election analyst and a, who specializes in predicting, you know, he's a he's a big in the betting market, betting odds markets, and he made a lot of money correctly predicting both Brexit and Trump in 2016. He referenced these four metro areas and said, quote, former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich commented on this, saying, quote, I think he, Biden, would have to do a lot to convince Republicans that this is anything except a left-wing power grab financed by people like George Soros, deeply laid in at the local level. And frankly, I think that it is a corrupt stolen election we believe these people are thieves we believe the big city machines are corrupt it is impossible to imagine that biden outran obama in some of these states which is another that's another thing worth pointing out especially with detroit in michigan with atlanta georgia heavy black vote population you expect me to believe that biden did better with these people than the first black president you yeah. can't convince me that not in a million years um, that was a great meme people were sharing after the fact but he supposedly did I mean, he did not do better percentage wise among black voters i think Trump, obama did get more he got like 94 percent, something like that but the joke people were sharing that oh i guess obama's success him getting the original highest vote total ever in 69 million in 2008 oh that clearly wasn't because of him that was clearly because people really like joe biden right right <laughs> obviously joe biden came around and did better than that so it's total biden garbage. was the real mvp on that ticket biden was the one who carried obama over the official line were it not for biden we would have had president mccain and vice president Sarah Palin. So I guess maybe we do have Biden to thank for that. <laughs> Going back to voter registration then, this is interesting that this is in addition to the historical trends showing Republicans gaining way more substantially in key swing states than Democrats. Before the election, Judicial Watch reported that more than a tenth of all the counties in the United States had more registered voters than citizens eligible, eligible to vote. Even in places where the number of registered voters was below the number of eligible voters, registrations reached their highest level in decades in 2020. Philadelphia County, one example, had more than 90% of its eligible voters registered, its highest level in 35 years. That is literal dictatorship numbers. That's like where Saddam Hussein wins 90% of the vote in a presidential election. Mm -hmm. You tell me that anywhere in the country, even the rural areas, the pro-Trump areas, tell me that anywhere in the country has 90% registration rate generally speaking americans vote in presidential elections about 52 to 68 percent something of those you know those numbers uh but the yeah uh, having more than 90 percent of eligible voters registered is extremely fishy and now of course we have to go back to our recollections of that particular night uh jacob you were awake and watching the results as i was on election night 2020 right yes and i kind of had a feeling on that night that uh that they were trump was not going to win I just I kind of had that feeling even whenever he was ahead. I when I saw the initial numbers coming in, and again the numbers that he was way ahead in Florida, it was obvious he was going to win Florida, but nobody would call it. But I saw that I'm like, oh, he's clearly he's got this. He's crushing it in Florida. He's crushing it in Ohio and Iowa. He's going to win this thing. And he was ahead in those states in the Rust Belt as well, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. He was ahead in all of them. Then around half past midnight, Eastern time, of course, the counting suddenly stopped. They were counting votes very gradually. They were coming in. And then simultaneously in the five contested states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Arizona, they just stopped counting for anywhere from like three to four hours. It was just dead silence. We were not hearing a word out of those states. And then at like three or four in the morning, suddenly the vote count started back up again. 
And what do you know? Biden is suddenly ahead in all these states. It just happened out of nowhere. And there were moments in the mainstream media coverage of the vote totals as they were going up. When when those spikes for Biden suddenly happened, these statistically impossible numbers were coming in. Here's just one example. This is from the New York Times coverage. A friend of mine actually sent me the screenshot. This is from Michigan with 90.9% reporting in. Trump was ahead of Biden with 51.64%. Trump had 2.2 million votes to Biden's 1.9 million votes, 46.75%. So that's a pretty healthy, that's a 5% margin, 91% reporting in. Then suddenly with 93.8% reporting in, there was a jump in Biden votes to 2.13 million, 48.42%, bringing Trump down to 50.02%. Except Trump's total does not change between these two screenshots. Trump had 2,200,902 votes in Michigan, and Biden was down to 1,992,356. And the next screenshot, bam, 2,130,695. And what's interesting In this same screenshot, none of the vote totals for the third party candidates changed either. Yeah. (laughs) Joe Jorgensen, the Libertarian, Howie Hawkins, the Green Party, Don Blankenship, the Constitution Party. They stayed completely the same. It was a sudden spike in votes for Biden. That is statistically impossible. That right there is pretty obvious voter fraud when you think about it. There are other things here, like there was a margin uh, with the votes in the state of the race in Wisconsin. This is from 538. There's a graph, and we'll be posting these pictures in the video version to back this all up. This was at the point where about 89% of Wisconsin's expected vote count was recorded as of 623 a.m. the following morning, November 4th. There is a sudden spike where there is a gradual rise in both of these, the red line and the blue line, the red line being for Republican votes and the blue line being for Democratic votes. It's a gradual line that slowly kind of curves up as they kind of plateau, and then there is suddenly a vertical line, a straight shot up in the blue votes that suddenly shoots right past the Republican vote totals and then has Biden over the Republican vote totals. That, again, statistically impossible. There were also a handful of states, and I got a screenshot of this, where Biden dramatically outperformed Senate candidates which, going back to what we said before about how Biden supposedly won the election, but House candidates lost, Democrats lost seats in the House, which would suggest, you know, there was no down ballot coattails or whatever, which would further suggest realistically that, oh, maybe if they were making fake ballots or something, they were only checking off the boxes at the top of the ticket to get Biden in there because all they cared about was getting rid of Trump. In Georgia, and this was a big one because Georgia obviously was the swing of the entire balance of power with the Senate races there, with the same percentage reporting in, Trump had 2,432,799 votes. David Perdue, the incumbent senator, had 2,433,617 votes. So roughly the exact same. This was with about 98% of the vote reporting in. Roughly the exact same total number of votes. Biden, by contrast, 2,414,651. John Ossoff, Perdue's Democratic challenger, 2,318,580. That's a difference of 100 thousand votes. You mean to tell me that a hundred thousand people voted for Joe Biden and then suddenly just didn't check the box for the Senate race? We we know that that couldn't have been a case of people turning right over and voting for uh you know, people who voted for Biden and then turn around and vote for Purdue. That doesn't make any sense because Trump and Purdue had roughly the same amount of votes at that same time. It just does not add up at all. 
And so just to recap the second part of the circumstantial evidence that Eric just covered, we had voter registration trends in swing states across the country between 2016 and 2020. All of the registration trends pointed toward the Republicans. In fact, in Pennsylvania, it pointed massively toward Republicans. Every single swing state, Republicans registered hundreds of thousands of people more than Democrats registered. This was true in Florida as well. Florida had a massive deficit between Democrats and Republicans, and Republicans nearly caught up to Democrats before the 2020 election, which is one of the factors in why Florida was able to flip so hard. I mean, uh, Trump won Florida in 2016, but he didn't win it. He won it just barely, and this was the main reason why he was able to clear Florida by four points, which should have happened if, if you look at the registration trend. Something like that should have happened in Pennsylvania. The second thing we covered in the second segment of the uh, circumstantial evidence is the Census Bureau discrepancy, and we'll come back to that in a second. Then there were the bellwether counties, the major counties that always vote for the winner or almost always vote for the winner. They all went for Trump. The bellwether states, most of them went for Trump. The down-ballot races factored. Um, the Republicans won down-ballot races all across the country. They almost took back the House. They didn't lose any state legislatures. And in fact, they took state legislatures, which indicates that the guy at the top of their ticket should have won. Then there, were the, there was the Big Four anomaly, in which Biden lost ground in every single major urban center in America relative to Hillary Clinton, except for Philadelphia, Atlanta, Milwaukee, and Detroit. And then, of course, the spikes in Michigan and Wisconsin that we all saw on election night. Well, I should say election on November 4th, in which Biden received vote dumps that were simply statistically impossible, especially when you consider that those vote dumps gave zero votes in some instances to the third party candidates and gave few, if any, votes to Donald Trump. So addressing some of these concerns, one of the things that people will point to whenever you look at the 2020 election versus 2016 election or any other election is the pandemic. They'll say because of the pandemic, every state in the country made voting early much easier. So according to U.S. News and World Report, 70 percent of the 2016 numbers had already voted early the day before the election. 70 percent of the 2016 numbers had already voted the day before the election. Another factor to consider is the Mark Zuckerberg influence. Mark Zuckerberg's philanthropies funded election workers across the country to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars and we covered this in episode 18 how the right can stop losing we'll link to that in the description capital research center did an incredible amount of research on this showing how zuckerberg's and facebook's philanthropies that they fund managed to drive up voting numbers in urban centers across the country relative to rural areas because most of these workers that they employed worked in urban centers the democrats in this election, 2020, they used nonprofits, at least Democrat uh, progressives, they used nonprofits to an extent to which they'd never been used before when it comes to turning out the vote in urban areas. And the, the massive early voting is testament to that. In Pennsylvania, for instance, there was about a 700,000 vote lead as far as Democrats who voted early uh, versus Republicans who voted early the day before the election. So when that was the that was the margin that Trump was leading Biden on the night that those numbers spiked. But when you think about it, the Democrats already had about 700,000 more voters that had voted early. So there was a massive deficit that Republicans had to overcome on Election Day. These factors and many others made 2020 unique. And also, of course, you had all the political violence. It was uh, hypercharged. The media had gone all in on uh, the Democrats like they never had before, even in 2016. Social media locked down in favor of the Democrats, like the, uh, specifically in favor of Joe Biden, like they had never done for any presidential candidate. And not only did they 
uh, did they, you know, suppress information that was uh, positive toward Trump and uh, amplify negative information about Trump and vice versa with Joe Biden? But Twitter, for instance, they completely locked down a lot of right wing influencers months before the election. And of course, there was the Hunter Biden story that they suppressed. So social media, the mainstream media, they went all in as the communications arm for Joe Biden. They locked down information that was damaging to Joe Biden. This had never happened on this scale before in American history. So there were anomalies in this election that could explain the massive voter turnout that could explain 81 million people showing up to vote for Joe Biden. Another thing we pointed out was the census. Now, the census found what was it? Uh, Seven million voters fewer than actual than the official. They found uh, five million voters fewer than the official uh, voter count. So what that is is after every election, the census sends out a survey to all the registered voters in the country and ask simply ask them if they voted. And typically, this survey me- measures pretty closely with the official number of votes. So in 2016, for instance. You had the exact opposite effect. You had about 55 uh, to 56 million people. I'm sorry. You had about 155 to 156 million people who voted in. Okay, go back. In 2016, you had about 55 to 56 percent of registered voters who voted in the the election. It was one of the lowest turnouts in in American history. The census showed that in 2016, 61.4 percent of uh, the citizen voting age population reported voting. So you had about six million more votes. Uh, claimed by the Census Bureau than actually voted according to the official figures, and it was exactly flipped in 2020. Now, the census survey, it's not official data. So, for instance, in 2020, there were 154,628,000 people who claimed that they voted. But on the other hand, there were there were 40,561,000 who reported that they did not vote, and then there were 36,404,000 who did not respond. So the people will argue, well, the, of the 36 plus million who didn't respond, you can easily get that extra five million who actually voted. And again, you know, this is this is uh, this is very subjective. You can you know believe it however you choose to believe it, but that's how they would explain that away. Okay, the deep dive we're going to do today is going to be on Arizona, and the reason why we chose Arizona is because of all the states where there were anomalies, where there were lawsuits, where there were contestations against the official vote count. Arizona is the only state in the country that has done a full forensic audit. Their Senate managed to subpoena the voting machines. They managed to hire a third-party firm, and they did a full forensic audit, and they released the results of that back in September. So, And one thing that just needs to be said about the Arizona audit is that, of course, it was very heavily anticipated. It was carried out over the course of many, many months. And they kept saying, oh, this is they're, – they're not going to find anything. This is a crazy conspiracy theory. They're going to make stuff up. And then sure enough, the gaslighting happened – continued in a very different way. After they finally came out with the results, the mainstream media narrative became they didn't change the results of the election in Arizona. Clearly, this means they didn't find anything because if they found anything, then they would show that Trump won Arizona. No, this was an audit, not a recount. Recounts are for the purpose of trying to change the results of an election. And that's usually in a really close race like that one Senate race in Minnesota that was literally decided by like 800 votes or something. The point of an audit is to analyze the ballots themselves, you know, cross-reference them with voter records and whatnot to try to determine if these are faulty ballots. If they're dead people, if their addresses don't match, if the signatures don't match, if they're from out of state, that's the point of an audit. 
Well, the average person, they hear the results of the audit, especially if they're a Democrat, they've already got their biases confirmed. And uh, and they hear that, OK, they released the results of the audit and actually added votes to Biden's count. And they assume that this firm that was part of you know, the president of the firm had actually supported the idea of voter fraud. They assume that it was going to subtract votes for Biden and say, oh, look, Trump won the election. But that's like you said, that's not what the purpose of this audit was. The purpose of the audit was to find where these irregularities were and to you know, show Arizona what they can do in the future to fix it, not just to fix the results of 2020, but to help the state of Arizona, the legislature of Arizona to fix these problems in the future. This audit cover only covered Maricopa County, as we're going to get into. They didn't yes. cover any other uh, part of Arizona, only Maricopa County. The which most is populated county the in most, the state. So according to the official results, Joe Biden won 1,672,143 votes to Donald Trump's 1,661,687. So that would be 49.36% for Biden, 49.06% for Trump. That's a difference of 10,457 votes. So extremely razor thin margin in Arizona, one of the one of the tightest races in the country, according to the official results. So we separated circumstantial evidence in Arizona from hard evidence in Arizona. So circumstantial evidence. Arizona, like a lot of the states before the election, they altered their ballot integrity procedures, which made it harder to catch illegal ballots. So the result, what happened whenever they did this? So in, for instance, in 2018, 12,358 votes were rejected. In 2020, only 4,943 were rejected. Now remember, the margin of victory was less than 11,000 votes. So if they had rejected votes at the same rate that they did in 2018 in Arizona, and remember, 20, obviously, in, uh, they had many fewer votes in the midterms in 2018 than they did in 2020. But even if they had rejected as many as they did during the midterms in Arizona, it would have been more votes rejected than the margin by which Biden won. Of course, that's circumstantial evidence. We don't know that, that that would have changed the outcome of the election. But it is worth noting that there were more ballots rejected in 2018 than the margin by which Biden won. And the, the measures they put in place to make it harder to reject ballots brought that number down from 12,358 to 4,943 in 2020. Phoenix centered Maricopa County, Arizona, which holds two-thirds of the state's voters, had not voted Democrat at the presidential level since 1948. They voted in 1964 in the Lyndon Johnson landslide. Maricopa County voted for Barry Goldwater. And of course, Goldwater was from Arizona, so that makes sense. But it's worth noting that this would have been the first time if these you know, it's assuming that these results are accurate. This would be the very first time that Maricopa County went blue since Harry Truman in 1948. After the winning after winning the county by three percent in 2016, Trump gained 248,000 net new votes in 2020 in Maricopa County, which is the uh, which is a record Republican. Yet Trump allegedly lost the county. Now, the, with the biggest scandal in the circumstantial evidence category was Sharpie Gate. And this blew up online. This was probably the biggest alleged voter fraud incident on Election Day that went viral. A man, uh, he filmed a woman who had just voted, and she claimed she saw two people who tried to vote, but because they had used, they were given Sharpies to use and it bled through, their votes were not counted. And this spread the rumor that the county was giving out Sharpies on Election Day it's because they knew that it would be mostly Republicans voting on Election Day, whereas they had given ballpoint pens before Election Day. And knowing that it would be mostly Democrats voting, so less, so you know the the allegation being that Republican votes wouldn't be counted because it was bleeding through the Sharpie was bleeding through the ballot. So we'll let you listen to this video. This is a video that went viral on election night, 2020. So explain one more time. So the people that were in front of me, there were two people in front of me that used the Sharpie. Yes. That was given to them by the poll workers. Yes. 
It did not read their ballot. Okay. And they slid it in there twice. I used a pen. Yep. Took their sharpie and threw it away. And it read your and ballot. And it read my ballot. And it read your ballot. And it read my so ballot. So what they're doing is they're telling people to use the sharpies. That way, yes. those votes aren't counted. Yes. That's exactly what's happening. Yes. So there was other people that were in there voting with their with their pens, and they literally went around and they were yanking pens out of their hands. Yes. They tried to do that to me, and I took their sharpie and I hid it because then they said, "Look for all the sharpies that are not being used and take the sharpies back." They had a bowl of pens behind them that they were not giving to people and only giving Sharpies out. There we go. So the ones with the Sharpies are not being read at all? No. No. None of those none of those ballots are being read? Of course not. So that's, and so they're doing it because they're trying to skew all of the votes in yeah, there. And they that's didn't, exactly and they what's didn't going try on. they even slide it more than one time. They immediately took it and slid it in the front. Like, not even tried a second time. They just that's correct. Oh, yeah. ran it through yeah, and slid it in the front. And I was like, wait a second. That's what they did with yours? Yep. And I just went with a Sharpie, voted Trump, and uh, just slid it in, and that was it. But I... I but they're not counting. They're not counting the ones with the Sharpies. And so they're forcing people to use the Sharpies, and those votes aren't being counted. That's what's going on. Right. And then I posted it on my Facebook group chat in my neighborhood. They said they did it at the Queen Creek Library. They did it at ASU Polytech earlier. They're like four different polling places were doing Sharpies all in, like between Queen Creek and like the edge of Gilbert. Yep. And, and those ones are not being counted. Yeah. They're invalid. Yeah. I mean, yes. like I approve. <laughs> so they're invalidating votes is what they're doing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like I just, that's how what I, I feel the picture. Like. Okay. And then Trump. there was a guy that directly came out and yelled at me. Three times. He, they both came out. Oh, no. They they called the sheriffs and said stop. that and, and told us to stop handing out the ballpoint pens, in which case those are the only ones that are actually being yeah. counted and validated. Like, used- okay. So notice whenever she talks, of course, she relates her episode, her what, what she saw, which was just two voters that she said that they tried to vote and their ballots were invalid. The other lady comes up to the video and interjects herself into the conversation, and she doesn't know what they're talking about. All she hears is Sharpie ballots, and she says, yeah, I filled out mine with a Sharpie, and I submitted it. I voted for Trump, and it was fine. And the guy said, oh, but it didn't count. He tells the second lady, but your vote didn't count. And she's like, wait, what? It didn't count? And later in the video, she says, well, mine was fine. And he keeps repeating, no, but it didn't count. So this guy who's filming, he already has a predetermined assumption that the Sharpies are being given out to invalidate Trump voters. And then this lady comes up and says, well, I voted with the Sharpie. It was fine. I submitted it to the machine. Now, PolitiFact ended up running, of course, as PolitiFact does. They uh, they uh, have to try to rebut everything that every allegation the Republicans make about voter fraud. But what's interesting is PolitiFact produced a video. Maricopa County, they actually endorsed Sharpies on October 24th before the election, claiming that it would be better than ballpoint pens. So we'll let you take a listen to that. And keep in mind, this is a week before the election, whenever they're endorsing Sharpies. It's writing out on the screen, can I use a Sharpie to mark my ballot? Did you know you can use a black or blue pen or Sharpie to fill out your ballot in Maricopa County? The new tabulation equipment only reads the ovals, so bleed-throughs are not a problem. The new ballot style also has off-centered columns that don't allow for bleed-throughs to fill out ovals on the other side of the ballot. At the vote center, you may notice fine-tip Sharpies are used. That's because it's the fastest drying ink and works best on the tabulation equipment. If you're filling out your ballot at home, you can use blue or black ink with ballpoint pen or Sharpie. Just don't use red ink. The tabulation equipment cannot read red. Learn more at BeBalladReady.vote. 
So apparently this wasn't something that they were trying to spring on people on Election Day, like say, hey, you know, we've got a bunch of we're going to encourage people to use ballpoint pens before Election Day. And then we're just going to spring all the Sharpies on them on Election Day. And the lady who comes up, the second lady, she claims that she voted using the Sharpie. Her ballot went through and everything was fine. There's. Other than this one lady claiming that she saw two voters whose ballots didn't go through, we'd, I mean, for whatever reason, that could have been – we don't know why those two particular voters, they had their ballots rejected. But the thing is, if your ballot is rejected, you can either resubmit it, in which case it may or may not be counted, or you can scrap the ballot and be handed another ballot to vote again. Now, this video, of course, went viral, and there were millions and millions of people who were claiming that Sharpie Gate should invalidate all the elections in Arizona. The Trump campaign considered filing a lawsuit based on this, but they dropped that lawsuit on November 7th. Megan Gilbertson, the department's communication director, told Reuters that the county started using new equipment last year, the year before this would be 2019, that made Sharpies the best pens to use when filling out a ballot because of the fast-drying ink. She said, quote, the Sharpies are just fine to use. They do not impact tabulation. And we encourage them on Election Day because of how fast the ink dries, end quote. What's interesting is the National Files' Patrick Howley released an email from October 22nd. And we're going to include this in the in the description. It tells poll workers to only hand out ballpoint pens through November 2nd because they need Sharpies for Election Day. This email was by Kelly Dixon, who is the Assistant Director of Recruitment and Training for Maricopa County Elections. Hi, amazing troubleshooters. First and foremost, I want to thank you all for supporting this historic election for yada, yada, yada. Next, we've heard you and know your hearing issues and concerns about the Sharpie markers. Starting tomorrow, October 23rd, and through November 2nd, we are asking that clerks hand voters ballpoint pens, she puts in all caps, ballpoint pens, rather than markers. We need, and she puts need in all caps, to use markers on Election Day. But for now and through November 2nd, hand voters a ballpoint pen. You have plenty of pens in your supplies right now. And one of the allegations this lady was saying is that they had uh, cups of ballpoint pens at the at the precinct, but they weren't giving any of them out. They were only handing Sharpies out. They were insisting that everyone wanted to vote with Sharpies. And in fact, when they tried to hand voters ballpoint pens, then they called the sheriff on them. Of course, they you know ended up kicking them out, etc. Now, of course, Trump supporters immediately jumped on this and they said, well, look, this is irrefutable evidence. This is an email that Kelly Dixon sent. She's the assistant director for recruitment and training of Maricopa County Elections, and she told her workers that we need to use Sharpies on Election Day, but it's okay to use ballpoint pens until Election Day for early voting. This would seem to support the assumption in the video that they were using ballpoint pens so they would count for the early voters, and they were using Sharpies on Election Day so they wouldn't count when it would be mostly Trump supporters voting. But this can just as easily be explained by the October 23rd video in which they pointed out that Sharpies are – perfectly fine to use and in fact preferable to use because of the fact that they dry quicker and as she told Reuters they dry quicker than ballpoint pens. So that's um I am going to take the assumption personally that this was a big blow up over nothing and that every single vote that was voted with a Sharpie counted just as much as votes with a ballpoint pen. According to the Arizona Attorney General Mark Brnovich, the uh, he said quote the county election official who was Democrat lost and other Republicans won. It came down to people split. This is so terribly. This quote he gave was so terribly written. But essentially, he's saying that the reason why Maricopa County voted for Biden was because there, uh, people split their votes. Um, he points out that there was no cheating in Maricopa County, and he knows this because the recorder, the election recorder, who was a Democrat, and he lost to a Republican. And we're going to come back to these two individuals later on in this deep dive. But his argument is the reason why Maricopa, why Trump lost Maricopa County is because people just split their votes. So they were fine voting for a Republican for a county recorder, 
but they just didn't want Trump as president, so they voted for Biden. There's, it's part of like Arizona's independent streak. You know, they elect mavericks to the Senate, like you know John McCain, Jeff Flake, and now on their side, you know, Kristen Cinema. So that that's that's the logic he was going with. Yeah. We just really like electing people who can't make up their minds, apparently. Right, right, yeah. So you got people who are, I guess, independent minded, which I mean, uh, you know, more circumstance and go in your circumstantial suspicion jar, and you can make of it what you will. The third issue of the third circumstantial evidence that we would like to present is on December 2nd, a court in Arizona had two handwriting expert witnesses evaluate the signatures on 100 random absentee ballots. The Republican expert witness found 6% of signatures on the 100 ballots were troublesome. The Democrat expert witness found 9% of signatures on the 100 ballots were troublesome. Vice President Biden would likely not man maintain his victory in Arizona if the ballot integrity procedures had caught the estimated troublesome ballots. So in other words, if you expand these 100 allots to all the ballots, then obviously you would eliminate 6 to 9% of the vote total, and Biden would not be able to win. So that's additional circumstantial evidence. Okay, now moving on, and this is going to include the timeline of the investigations all the way leading up to the audit findings and where we are, where we stand today with Arizona. The Senate held a non-legislative hearing on November 30th with Trump's attorneys and heard testimony of discrepancies. And this was, of course, building up to all during this time. There was Sharpie Gate. There were uh, there were alleged discrepancies. Of course, just the typical accusations in most of these swing states. So on November 30th, the Arizona Senate held a non-legislative hearing with the Trump attorneys and her testimony of discrepancies from voters. Now, what that means, the non-legislative hearing just means they could not issue subpoenas during this meeting. They were just hearing evidence. Senate, the Senate then scheduled a full legislative hearing on December 11th, but canceled due to COVID and rescheduled for December 14th. At the December 14th hearing, the Senate Judiciary Chairman Eddie Farnsworth announced that they would issue subpoenas to perform an audit of the Dominion software machines and ballots. During the meeting, a Mar Maricopa County Representative claimed that they could not com uh, complete an audit of the Dominion voting machines and software used due to the ongoing litigation as they could be accused of tampering with evidence. So Dominion, so the, the county's argument was because there's litigation, keep in mind the Trump campaign and Arizona is going through, they're going through courtroom battle. So at the time they've got uh, two lawsuits ongoing. So the county is saying we can't turn over these machines because if we touch these machines, then it could be, we could be accused of tampering with evidence. In his closing statement, Senator Farnsworth said he understood that they felt constrained because of the lawsuits, but that he didn't agree with their assessment. He said, quote, as we heard in testimony, these lawsuits seek a forensic audit, audit as the relief and performing such an audit would render moot the legal action currently before the court. In other words, if you turn over the machines and we do an audit, then these legal actions that are being taken against the county will be rendered moot. He said, nevertheless, I am sensitive to the county's position and the threat of ongoing litigation or additional litigation, which means there is no reasonable expectation that the audit will occur anytime soon, which continues to lead our, con our constituents into believing this election was compromised. Farnsworth also noted that there was a catch-22 for those concerned about fraud. While he said that Democrats had claimed there was no evidence, those who have filed their lawsuits have had to do so without any access to the records. So in other words, if the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, if they keep holding on to these Dominion machines, then people who are claiming there was fraud, they don't have any way to prove the fraud because they can't get to the machines. So that's the catch-22 that he's talking about. He said this is a very tall order to try to prove something when you can't get access to the information. Subpoenas were issued on December 15th, the following day, and Maricopa County voted on December 18th in a vote of 4-1 to to refuse to comply and to take the Senate to court over these subpoenas. Of course, in the meantime, you have the January 6th riot, Biden is inaugurated, all this, you know, in the meantime, uh, life, life moves on. 
But things get really, really ugly whenever the Senate goes back into session in January, and it gets it, things get really heated between Maricopa County and the Senate. You may have heard this in the news. It's it's you know been kind of in the background for months. Yep. Things got so bad that the Senate eventually threatened to imprison the Maricopa County supervisors for refusing to submit to the subpoena, which they legally have to do because the Senate does have subpoena authority. On February 2nd, the Board of Supervisors began the first of two audits that it conducted on its own that the senators found unsatisfactory, except for questions about equipment potentially having been compromised by malicious software and whether the equipment was connected to the Internet at any time. So the Board of Supervisors did conduct two audits of their own. And, of course, it didn't satisfy any of the questions that any of these court battles that had previously been dismissed had been asking about. On February 5th, the Board of Supervisors asked the court to dismiss the subpoenas. On February 26th, the Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Timothy Thompson ruled in favor of the Senate and demanded that Maricopa County comply with the subpoena and turn over the machines. The Senate then proceeded to audit the Dominion machines after they received them from Maricopa County using the Florida-based firm Cyber Ninjas. Now, we're going to take a little bit. This is in February when they, when they, of course, when this decision is handed down on February 26th. So we're going to take a little bit of a detour now. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the curious case of a guy named Elliot Kerwin. According to Forbes reporter Thomas Brewster, a search warrant caught his eye at the end of November, and he investigated it and wrote up an article about it. He reported on December 4th that on the morning of November 5th, as the 2020 election hung in the balance, Arizona federal agents raided a two-story house in Fountain Hills, Maricopa County, a county that had become a key battleground in the presidential race. The agents were looking for evidence of a cyber attack on an unnamed organization and stolen voter data. They left with eight hard drives, three computers, and a bag of USB sticks. The resident of the property, a 56-year-old IT expert named Elliot Kerwin, was served the warrant. He has not yet facing charges and was unreachable for comment at the time of publication. There is no indication that anything other than voters' information, which can be acquired for a few hundred dollars in Arizona counties, was taken from the affected office. The warrant, discovered by Forbes this week, reveals investigators have been looking into a computer intrusion at an unnamed victim office, which occurred from October 21st to November 4th. That's, that's a long time leading up to that election date. A little suspiciously long, if you don't mind me saying so. At the Kerwin residence, they were looking for any evidence within the seized computers that showed they'd been used to access the IT network at the office as well as protected voters' information and any, and any indication that it had been disseminated to other people. Of the 15 county recorders' offices contacted by Forbes about the investigation, only one, Maricopa County, confirmed voter data had been stolen, noting that a federal investigation was underway. The Maricopa County Recorder's Office, which is just 30 minutes drive south from Kerwin's home, did not confirm whether or not the investigation was the same as, uh, as that referred to in the search warrant. Quote, analysis by the Maricopa County Recorder's Office IT security indicates an unauthorized individual gathered publicly accessible voter information from our website, a spokesperson said. They didn't specify what voter information and declined to comment any further on the nature of the attack. The data trove could be significant. There were more than 2.5 million registered voters in the county for the 2020 election. Now, this information that is included in here, you can buy most of this information. And in fact, a lot of campaigns will buy this information for a you know fairly decent price from counties in order to target voters. But there's certain information that is too private to be sold. For instance, your home address. So if a campaign buys information, they're just going to buy the town that you live in. They're not going to buy your street address. Well, your street address is listed on this information. So if you know if this information is hacked, he has access to your physical address. He doesn't just have access to your county or your city. Something else he has access to, your email address, something that's not given out to to campaigns. Quote, additional security controls were put in place to mitigate against this activity occurring in the future. 
The Maricopa County Recorder's Office has reported this to proper authorities and law enforcement personnel, and there is an ongoing investigation by the FBI at this time. The FBI informed our office today they searched a warrant. The warrant was served on November 5th. Maricopa County is telling Forbes on December 4th when they published the article, or I guess if you want to be specific, maybe December 3rd when they contacted the county, that the FBI informed them of the search warrant that day. In other words, they're claiming they didn't even know about the search warrant when it was carried out until Forbes got wind of it, until this this one reporter, Thomas Brewster, happened to notice the search warrant in public records. And then the FBI informed Maricopa, oh, hey, by the way, we, you know, we served a search warrant a month ago. So who is Elliot Kerwin? Attempts to contact Kerwin, the Phoenix resident, over mobile. His Signal encrypted messenger account and his Gmail were unsuccessful. It's not the first time Kerwin has been investigated by police. According to a police report obtained by Forbes on April 1st, 2011, when he was the IT administrator for the city of Ashland, Wisconsin, he was questioned by police regarding spoof emails sent out just ahead of a local election. He sent the emails himself as an alleged April Fool's joke. He resigned that position in June 2011, possibly forced out over his prank. Since leaving local government, Kerwin has been running his own IT companies, one named Lunatech, where he promised assistance with viruses, malware, and security software. According to his online CV, that Mercer, Wisconsin business was closed in mid-2019. Among his services at his tech company are cyber forensics and surveillance. Now, searching for this guy shows, if you do just a random Google search for this guy, you find that he's lived in a dozen different places. He's lived in New York, several places in New York, Wisconsin. Like, he bounces around all the time, which... You know, not too suspicious, but in this case, it does kind of get the old noggin jogging. Why does he keep bouncing around from city to city? One blogger noted, quote, so he steps down and sets up his own IT services company in Mercer, Wisconsin, closes that company in 2019, and then decides to get into the cybersecurity side of the business under Desert Oasis Tactical during a contentious election cycle in Maricopa County. Remember that Republican who won the Maricopa County recorder position because voters allegedly voted for him down ballot but didn't vote for Trump? Right. Okay, so this story about Kerwin, it completely fell out of the news cycle. It was it was picked up by Forbes. One of the local Arizona newspapers ran a story on it. And other than that, it was other than just a few blogs, a few right-wing blogs, nobody heard about this. It just, this didn't make national news. It didn't, didn't go on Fox. No, nobody knew anything about the fact that their election system was hacked. And it was the period of interest was between October 24th and November 4th, the day after the election. This is just another one of those things that the mainstream media will tell you is a conspiracy theory, obviously. Yeah, if, if it, and if the thing is, if Thomas Brewster of Forbes hadn't noticed the search warrant, if nobody would have any idea this happened, and apparently, according to Maricopa County spokesperson, even Maricopa County would have had no idea that there was a search warrant performed on this guy's house. Like, literally nobody but the FBI would know anything about this. So this completely, like I said, a few right-wing blogs talked about it in December. They talked about it in January, you know, posing questions. Hey, you know, what about this? But it kind of fell out of interest. People kind of forgot about it until that Republican brought it up. In January, he sent out an email to Republican voters mentioning that to him, basically saying, hey, under my predecessor, this happened. This isn't going to happen under my watch. And... You know, that didn't exactly – that just disseminated this information further and started getting people to start scratching their heads even more. Like, wait a minute. Maricopa County was was hacked. Our voter – you know, 2.5 million voters' information was potentially stolen and who knows, you know, done what with because the FBI hadn't commented on this at all. Now, Kelly Ward, former state uh, Republican state senator and current chair of the Republican – of the Arizona Republican Party whom Trump endorsed – she mentioned this in a video, but it wasn't necessarily that she was like, hey, we just discovered this new information. This is really suspicious. It was kind of more a line of, you know, we know that we know that the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors have been doing shenanigans, and this is one of the many shenanigans that they've done. 
But it caused the story to gain even more interest because people were like, wait a minute, wait, how have we not heard about this? Beyond the actual recounting of each and every ballot, there is new information coming to light nearly every day as to how poorly the election in November was su supervised in Maricopa County and in our state. Election officials say they didn't have access to passwords um, that are critical, critical equipment, but outside vendors like Dominion did. Routers weren't secure and may have been used to allow access to a network of county offices. And now, Maricopa County recorder Stephen Richard has revealed in a letter to voters that he learned that prior to his term, a breach of voter identification information occurred last election cycle and is now being investigated by law enforcement. If I were a Democrat, I think I'd be in a frenzy myself. We all know we know this old adage that where there's smoke, there's fire. So I, I just I want to take a little bit of a tangent. I want to go a little bit of a tangent here and just talk about the <laughs> Pollyanna naivete of Republican suburban soccer moms. Now, they're wonderful people. They are genuinely salt of the earth people. But think, listen to the, the tone in her voice as she says this stuff. It, it's not it's kind of like. Hey, kitties, we're going to go beat the other Little League team today and we're going to win first place and then we're going to go play at the park. It's almost like it's all a game. It's just all a game. This isn't. It's like it's the future of our country and the idea that our elections are literally being stolen. Right. No, she has the kind of disposition of like almost like, yeah, announcing the results of a Little League soccer game or something. It's just. And it, the way she talks about it, it's almost as if yeah, look how incompetent you keep hearing this over and over again about Biden, too, that he's incompetent. And it. It reinforces this belief. I think a lot of Republicans actually buy it. The Democrats are just incompetent. The Democrats are not incompetent. The re and the Democrats were not in a panic. You should say, you know, if I were the Democrats, I would be in a panic too. They're not in a panic. They didn't mention anything about this. They haven't mentioned anything about this since then. When they're asked to comment, they simply say no comment. When you have all of the media on your side, at least the mainstream media, when you have social, when you have big tech on your side, when you have most of the corporations on your side, you have Hollywood on your side, you don't have to answer questions. You don't have to panic. You don't have to say anything, You, especially whenever they saw how the Hunter Biden story was suppressed. You think they're going to care about this little this this Kerwin guy, whoever he was or whatever he did? No. And this isn't. And again, this just kind of shows the naivete that Republican leaders have. They don't they don't really you know catch on to the gravity of the situation. But when she produces video, this calls a lot of uh, people on the right to take this and run with it and talk about it. And it continued to gain steam through the blogosphere and all in right wing circles. And on the and the Arizona Free News on July 9th published an article about it, and it said that articles published by some media outlets this week that top Arizona officials knew of a cyber attack of Maricopa County voter registration files last fall but have kept it hidden are incorrect, as shown by the level of news coverage the hack received in December and January. Megan Gilbertson, a Maricopa County spokeswoman, confirmed the cyber attack to Forbes for its December 4th article, and she has insisted that... The only voter data the hacker or hackers accessed from October 21st to November 4th was information about voters, which is already public by law. How did she know that? Did the FBI, is that what the FBI told her? But what Gilbertson failed to say is how someone was able to access the county's voter registration files and whether the hacker tried to get into other county databases. Good questions. Other Maricopa County officials have appeared to try to divert attention away from the cyber incursion or to minimize the impact, often stating there were no problems with the election. That's the standard operating procedure. Stop asking questions here. Everything is fine. 
Steve Chukri of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors announced just hours before the Forbes article was published that he was considering asking for a third-party audit of the county's Dominion voting system machines, even as the canvas was still pending in the nation's fourth populous county. Now, a side note on Chukri, he was the only vote – remember I said that they voted four to one to uh, to defy the subpoena from the state senate? Chukri was the one vote against that. From the very beginning, he wanted to comply with the subpoena and go along with the senate's audit. He was recorded in March saying that two of his board colleagues didn't support the audit that the state Senate was pushing for because they won by slim margins and were concerned they may show them to have lost. He also claimed he believed dead people voted and alleged problems with illegal ballot harvesting and a law that Governor Doug Ducey signed last year that allowed election workers to analyze digital images of ballots in cases where it was unclear which candidate a voter chose. He also said he was proud to have helped take out the Democratic County recorder incumbent Adrian Fontes, who was the Democrat who was defeated by the Republican recorder on the down-ballot race, and said, quote, that guy's a scumbag. When the Gateway Pundit published all of this, Chukri announced in his resignation speech, Biden won. A spokeswoman for the U.S. Department of Justice told Arizona Free News in May the agency cannot comment about the cyber attack as it is part of an ongoing investigation. So apparently they raided the guy's home on November 5th, two days after the election, and the investigation is still ongoing in May. So this investigation now has lasted for six months for one lone hacker who who runs his business, I guess, out of his basement, who runs a cybersecurity business and cyber spying business out of his basement. And it's taken them six months, and they've still got an ongoing investigation into this, so they can't provide any updates. Really shattering stereotypes there, by the way. A federal investigation that accomplishes absolutely nothing after months and months on end. Sounds about right. Now, this article was written in July, and uh, the author writes, currently no one has given any additional information on the Kerwin case, and that is true today. We're, we're recording in November, and there's still no additional information on this Kerwin case. Everyone seems to have forgotten all about it. Furthermore, Kerwin has long since disappeared. So he had a LinkedIn account. He had a Twitter account. He had an Instagram account. He had a business website, and all of that has been wiped clean. He's still The accounts are still up, but they have no followers. They have no content. And no one knows where he's at. He just completely disappeared off the face of the earth, along with his business and all his social media. So the audit got got underway in in March after the Senate approved after the judge forced Maricopa County to turn over the machines in February. On May 19th, forensic analysis firm Cypher's founder Ben Cotton, who was part of the audit in addition to Cyber Ninjas, he recovered the primary database for the Maricopa County presidential election, which he said had been deleted at some point. Now, according to him. Maricopa County's uh, election, their database for their election was completely deleted right before they turned them over to the to the state Senate, but he was able to recover it. Now, Maricopa County denied deleting the, the database, but they claimed that the reason why the software was the way it was is that they didn't update it because it was 2019 software from Dominion. They claimed essentially it's state of the art because it's only 2019, so we didn't need to update it. And this is one of the criticisms that Ben Cotton levied against Maricopa County was that their software was out of date. They didn't have you know antivirus software up to date. Now, this is the explanation that the county gave for the alleged database erasure. They said the county uh, they said that the files were archived during routine backups and that the subpoenas issued by Fan and Peterson in the Senate never sought the backup logs or archives. So because they didn't specifically say we want the backups in the archives, then Maricopa County decided not to hand those over. As the information allegedly deleted on the logs that automatically track all the actions taken on the computer on the election equipment, the county said those logs are configured according to factory settings, which have a storage limit of 20 megabytes. The report said that no logs were intentionally deleted. 
However, according to Fields Mosley, a spokesperson for the county, the logs are automatically overwritten when they reach their storage limit, which has a six-month capacity. The Cyber Ninja report revealed in July that in March, there were more than 37,000 anonymous administrative queries to, to access the 2020 election system in Maricopa County that defied normal Windows behavior. This was in March, right before they handed over the machines, right before Cyber Ninja was about to get started. Quote, what we're seeing here is anonymous logins at the system level that do not follow the pattern of normal Windows behavior, Cotton said. Quote, the registration server that was public facing did, did have unauthorized access to that. In cybersecurity terms, it was breached. Now, another issue was the original when you had a ballot that needed to be cured. You should have one original ballot and then you should have one duplicate ballot that was cured. So let's say you have 20,000 duplicate ballots. You should have one duplicate for every original ballot that was thrown out, whether it's, let's say the signature was missing, the signature was scribbled, and they needed to clarify or whatever. You should have one matching duplicate ballot for every ballot that was cured. He was saying that they were coming across instances where you would have three. You would have three of the same for the same person, and then you would have other ballots where there would be no signature. And so he was saying that a possible solution to this discrepancy would be that you had these ballots with no signatures that actually matched one of these three ballots. So it's not an automatic assumption of fraud. Cyber Ninja CEO Logan also stated that the standard of verification for mail-in ballots dropped considerably as the volume of the ballots increased. He said, quote, we've had an affidavit that specifically stated that when mail-in ballots were received, that so many of them were received that the standard was reduced over time. They originally talked about there was originally 20 points of comparison on the signature, and then after some time, they were told to go to 10 points of comparison, then five, and then eventually they were just told to let every single mail-in ballot through, end quote. Logan noted that Maricopa County is withholding mail-in ballot images that can be used as evidence. Former Arizona Secretary of State Ken Bennett recommended resubpoenaing those images. What they were finding is that what they had received an affidavit from someone who worked in Maricopa County, apparently, and they said that as these mail-in ballots were piling up right after the election, that they started lowering their standards. So initially, they would have 20 people check a signature, and eventually they had somebody like, don't worry about it, let's just let 10 people check it. And eventually, let's just let five people check it. And then finally, they just got so overwhelmed, they got tired of doing it. And they're like, okay, just verify every, just you know, one check per, um, per ballot, run it through, and let's get this thing over with. On July 26th, the Senate subpoenaed the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors again for ballot envelopes, routers, and voter databases, among other requests. The final report issued to the Arizona Senate was on September 24th. The audit, of course, this came at the this information was leaked to the media on September 23rd, and the the total number ended up adding votes to Joe Biden's margin of victory. And of course, the media ran with the story on September 23rd claiming that the whole thing was a farce, it was a sham, and in, in the end, it showed that Biden won by an even bigger margin. But again, as we mentioned, the, the purpose of the audit wasn't to find that Trump won, that there's more votes for Trump, that they had added a bunch of votes. It's to find discrepancies and point out how the attorney general can investigate these discrepancies. That was the whole purpose of the audit. The audit broke down the election into four phases, voter history, paper ballots, voting machines, and the certified results. It also categorized discrepancies and issues as Critical, high, medium, and low. So, for instance, if you were, if there were a certain number of ballots, so uh, uh, above anything above ten thousand, if a discrepancy had more than ten thousand ballots, it was considered of high importance. There were discrepancies with all these except for the voting machine. So they found discrepancies with voter history, paper ballots, and the certified results, but they found no issues with the voting machines. There were 49,718 questionable votes of critical, high, or medium severity. 23,344 mail-in ballots were counted from individuals who no longer lived at the address to which the mail-in ballot was sent. The audit called these mail-in ballots voted from prior addresses in the voter history phase. 
Maricopa County's response to the 23,344 uh, 23, ballots from people who no longer lived at the same address is claimed that it reviewed its records and did not fi find any instances of people illegally voting from a prior address. The report noted that voters are legally allowed to update their addresses after the voter registration deadline for the election. Furthermore, the county took issue with the use of a commercial database to make determinations on whether a voter legally cast a mail-in ballot. In addition to this, there were 9,041 more ballots returned by voters than received in the voter history phase. Maricopa County's response to that was that the, uh, was that the audit team aired by counting duplicate images of early ballot envelopes that election officials make when a voter signature requires additional steps to verify it. So voter goes in, uh, the voter sends in a mail-in ballot, their signature is scribbled or whatever something's wrong with it, they left off some information, they have to cure it. The second time they try to do it, they mess up. So they try to have to help on a third time or fourth time. You have multiple ballots for one person. That's what Maricopa County is saying that this discrepancy uh, comes in. The audit found 5,295 voters that potentially voted in multiple counties in the certified results phase. The Maricopa County's response was that this was based on the audit team's failure to check voters' full names, social security numbers, and driver's license numbers rather than make assumptions based on voters who shared the same first and last names, middle initials, and birth years. The audit found 3,432 more ballots cast than the list of people who showed as having cast a vote. Maricopa responded the day before the results were announced that these were protected voters. So in other words, people who are in a witness protection program, people who were judges, people who didn't need their name to go out whenever they voted or whenever they were registered to vote. So that's what they claimed this was for. wasn't aware there were that many mafia informants living in Arizona. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's quite, that's quite high, even for uh, protected voters. There were 2,592 more duplicates than original ballots in the ballot phase. Maricopa County's response was that they checked their numbers again and believed the audit team was sloppy in counting overseas and military ballots, which inflated this number. And Maricopa County pointed to several of the audit observers as pointing out um, instances when they considered the audit team to be sloppy in counting military and overseas ballots. I mean, that, at that point, that's just hearsay. That's just, you know, both sides claiming that the other is sloppy. That's not, mm -hmm. that's, that's not a legitimate response from Maricopa as far as I'm concerned. There were 1,551 votes counted in excess of voters who voted in the certified results phase. They didn't respond to this, but they would likely just regard this as sloppiness, and they didn't even bother to respond to us. Um, but this alone, this is 1,551 votes. This wouldn't change the results anyway. And, and this was kind of the low category. I decided to throw this in. There were... 198 alleged registered voters after October 18th cutoff that still voted. There were also claims that 282 potential dead voters voted and 186 people with potential duplicate IDs. That's one thing the left loves to latch onto is that they always, they usually seem to find smaller numbers of dead voters, like not for sway anything. So they always say voter fraud's clearly not real because there aren't enough dead people voting to sway the election. election. Yeah, but still, still I mean, kind of an issue. That needs there to should do. not be a single dead person voting, first off. But second off, that's of course is assuming, that's kind of going along with the old trope that like, oh, the only known voter fraud that exists is dead people voting. Like there's way more to voter fraud than that. So there were three reports issued. There's the Cyber Ninjas report that uh, Cyber Ninjas report that we just covered, and the second report was from Cipher, which we, was uh, Ben Cotton's firm. That way, we mentioned Ben Cotton earlier. He mm -hmm. he looked at the voting machines. He accused Maricopa County of various forms of IT maintenance negligence, and we already covered the county's response to that. So they they just claimed that well, you know, these are the Dominion machines. We got them new in 2019. They're standard. They're state of the art, and their excuse for having deleted voter data was that we back up everything. 
and then we override it. And then after six months, all that, all, it's all automatically deleted. And we purposely didn't give the backups to the Senate because they didn't specifically request the backups. The third report was pattern recognition of early voting ballot or EVP return envelope images for signature presence detection. This was prepared by Echo Mail and presented to the panel by its lead investigator and the owner of Echo Mail, Dr. Shiva Ayatarai. And uh, Dr. Shiva Ayatarai, he was an independent candidate for Senate in Massachusetts back when I was working for Charlie Baker's reelection in 2018. And uh, he was actually came to the same sen- to the same county I was working in. And, uh, he previously ran for the Republican nomination at one point, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he he couldn't he couldn't make that. He actually uh, people were really excited about his candidacy until he got called out by uh, I can't remember who the guy is, but he's the biggest conservative in Massachusetts. He runs the the uh, what's the name of that the like the, it's like the the Boston it's like Boston's version of the Washington Times. It's the conservative oh. Boston. Um, not, of course, the Boston Globe is the main one. They're Boston Herald? Boston Herald. Because I was going to say, I'm not familiar with Massachusetts politics, but even I was familiar for a while like the like online buzz about this. He calls himself Dr. Shiva. That's what Yeah, he yeah. I can't remember the guy who's, who's the columnist of the Boston Herald, but he interviewed Dr. Shiva and just completely destroyed. And Dr. Shiva, <laughs> he's got some kind of personality disorder is the only oh, thing I know boy. how to describe it. Like he's extremely brilliant, extremely intelligent. But when you get him, when you criticize him, and as we're going to see in a letter he sends to the Senate, when you criticize him at all, he takes it super personal. He gets agitated. He gets <laughs> angry. And he just made an absolute fool of himself on this interview. And when he did that, in the comments, people are saying, I'm really disappointed in this. I, did, I thought Dr. Shiva was really serious, serious candidate. Well, because so, this guy's big claim to fame, we were talking about this off the air, is that he claims to be the inventor of email. Is that right? Right, right. When he was 14 Which years old. Which is not old. true. When he was 14, yeah, 14 years, years old, he invented email. And so – Wow, I guess the Indians really are sending their back. <laughs> So it's a, whenever this happened, he ran as an independent. Of course, he got nothing in the vote. But what he would do is he would go around to Elizabeth Warren's rallies and he would uh, basically crash her rallies. And he would, accuse, <laughs> he would accuse all of her supporters of being racist because they were supporting someone who claimed to be an Indian. He would say, I'm right. an Indian. I'm a real Indian. Uh, that's that, that, right. that was that's his argument. right. He ran as like, don't vote for the fake Indian. Yeah. Vote for the real vote Indian. Vote for the real Indian. That was his whole thing. <laughs> I yeah. forgot about that. But when I saw that he was a part of this Arizona audit, I was just like – why? 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 <laughs> it's the same same reason why people like Lynn Wood suddenly jump into it out of nowhere because they they wanna they wanna leach off of the, the trend right now. But you know? not only that, but it just discredits the credibility of of the audits in the eyes of so many people in mainstream media. I mean, I understand that mainstream media is never going to agree with the audit, but the least you could do is get you no know, not have Dr. Shiva do it. But anyway, the ce- celebrity conspiracy theorist types crowd that that's the kind of this guy and Lynn Wood and the rest of them. That's that's all they are. So his report claimed that Maricopa County allowed nine thousand five hundred eighty nine more early vote ballot return envelopes to move forward to the signature verification process than the audit determined were eligible. He also claimed 34,448 early vote ballot return envelopes or or EVPs were duplicates submitted by 17,126 individual voters, most of whom submitted two ballots, but some of whom submitted either three or four. So remember, if you've got duplicates, you should only have two ballots per person. He's claiming some of these people submitted three or four. Maricopa County's response, they responded through a small liberal outlet rather than responding directly, and that, that really irks Dr. Shiva. But their response was that the reason for the duplicate images of some envelopes is that envelopes that require additional verification are rescanned after the signatures are confirmed or cured, and they already brought this up whenever they responded to CyberNinja. With the duplicate ballots, there was a surge of 25% from November 4th to November 9th, and this is something Dr. Shiva brought up in the Senate chamber whenever he was giving his testimony. Of course, there was massive laughter because people were like, yeah, this is obvious fraud, but there was a surge of 25% from November 4th to, to November 9th, which seems out of kilter with what should naturally be expected. Maricopa County's response to this was that 
This resulted largely from a 2019 state law that gives voters five days after the election to rectify their unverified signatures. The county hired four additional people to cure signatures from October 29th to November 10th. And we talked about this before when uh, when they were mentioning that a some somebody signed an affidavit. They said that the county was rushing these signature verifications. They were initially having 20 people check every signature. Then they got sloppy and uh, dropped it down to 10, then five, then eventually just had one person check it and throw it in the bag, say, okay, this is good. So because they were just getting tired of doing it. It was getting toward the end. I guess they just wanted to go home. But this was another uh, anomaly he brought up. A number of other irregularities were highlighted by Dr. Shiva, including stamps on mail-in ballot envelopes received by Maricopa County appearing behind the form. So it uh, almost appeared like these pre-approved stamp envelopes where they were pre-approved ahead of time rather than stamped whenever they were received, which would be blatant fraud. Maricopa County responded that Dr. Ayatarai was unaware that on the paper envelopes, the triangles are actually solid black. Election officials and Runebeck Election Services, which prints and scans the envelopes, uh, they say solid colored spaces on the envelopes are hollowed out when scanned to reduce the size of the digital file. So anything else in that space, including the stamps, disappear. In a letter to the Senate two days after his testimony, Ayatari, Dr. Ayatari confirmed the, that, um, that his company Echo Mail concluded that image compression replaces non-white pixels in those triangle areas with white pixels. So he, he agreed with the county that that is correct. That is his company verified that. So in response to this, this liberal outlet attack, it, well, they're not really attacking. They're basically just bringing up that he's a conspiracy theorist. That's basically, that was their harshest criticism of him, that he's a conspiracy theorist. Which I think the fact checkers would probably agree that that's a true statement at this point. Yeah. So, so they called him a conspiracy theorist and they, they, they issued the county's rebuttal to his, to his claims. So rather than address their rebuttals and point out how his claims, you know, how, how they're not right, how he did understand or anything like that, he instead – so he issues a 67-page rebuttal that's in like a legal brief form to the Arizona Senate and the Arizona AG rather than to Maricopa County. But in the report, he, he's addressing Maricopa County and the, and the news outlet rather than the Senate, which is kind of weird that he would address it to the Senate. But anyway – is, so, I say, is that a rebuttal or a manifesto at that point? Well, uh, we're, uh, not well, long enough to be a manifesto. It's, Maybe it's, it's a mini festo. It's kind point. of a yeah. It's kind of a me festo, as we're going to see. So, <laughs> in this rebuttal, the so-called rebuttal that Dr. Shiva issued, it includes his personal bio. Oh God! And uh, I would skip over this, but this this stuff is just too good. I, I'm reading it right now. This <laughs> so it is. This is his personal bio. This is how he addresses the Senate. Dr. Shiva Yadurai, MIT PhD, SMME, SMVS, SBEE, the inventor of email and polymath, holds four degrees from MIT, is a world-renowned engineer, system scientist, inventor, and entrepreneur. He is a Fulbright Scholar, Lemelson MIT Awards finalist, India's first outstanding scientist and technologist of Indian origin, Western <laughs> House Science Talent Honors Award recipient, and a nominee for the U.S. National Medal of Technology and Innovation. He holds multiple patents, is the author of 20 books, and has published original research in leading peer-reviewed high-impact scientific journals, including IEEE, IJPRAI, Nature Neuroscience Cell Biophysical Journal, that have received thousands of citations. He has started seven successful high-tech companies, received numerous industry awards, consults for Global 2000 organizations, and has been invited to present keynote and distinguished lectures at leading institutions such as NSF, NIH, FDA, Harvard, and at MIT, where he delivered the Presidential Fellows Lecture. It also included a letter of recommendation from a professor in his field. Oh my goodness! Like, <laughs> like, like he's like, applying for like a job. Like he's applied for a job. It also included an introduction. In his There's introduction, more? it includes a section entitled. This is at the very top of the introduction. Quote: The racist smear campaign by Maricopa County officials. 
of the Arizona Mirror's criticism. In it, he writes, This attack was racist, the kind of real racism that is discussed neither in mainstream media nor ever published by big academia. The inability of Maricopa County election officials and their loyal scribe, he repeats the, the guy who's the author of the article, he continues to describe him as their loyal scribe. I guess this is supposed to be some kind of insult. <sighs> to keep in line a dark-skinned East Indian American who dares use his hard-earned scientific and engineering training and intelligence is the source of the real racism. The racist attack aimed to shame me back into their segregationist box of behavior that they deem acceptable for person, uh, not for persons, but for person of my background. For these Maricopa County election officials, it does not compute why a highly educated, dark-skinned American, an immigrant, a low-caste, untouchable from India's despicable caste system, a victim of racism his whole life, would ever perform an audit and report honest findings that may expose potential malfeasance of election officials who likely support liberal Democrats, the rightful and sole heirs of the right against racism in America. <laughs> and he just goes on and on about how they didn't think he was being a, a quote-unquote good Indian. He accuses them of publicly lynching him. He accuses oh, them of publicly lynching, lynching him. him. By de um, by demeaning what allowed him to earn his quote unquote liberation. So obviously he was taking he was ripping a page straight out of Clarence Thomas's playbook. You know he infamously you know referred to his confirmation hearings in 1991 as a high tech lynching for uppity blacks. But I mean that was delivered eloquently and that was it was making clear that was a metaphorical statement to say publicly lynching him. And this this guy isn't black. There's never been any black any no. Indians lynched in America. I gotta say too if if I'm gonna have to choose between the, the you know, annoying Indians at this point, I'd rather take Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> I got, in, in that bio, he, by the way, he says, India's first outstanding scientist and technologist of Indian origin. All I can think of is from the movie Dodgeball, the American Dodgeball Association of America. Like, <laughs> repeat yeah. India twice. Like, uh, I, I don't know. The more acronyms you throw on at the end of your name, you know, it really does add your credibility. Oh, of course, of course. Here I quote, <laughs> the Arizona State Senate wanted the best in the world, and that is why I was selected and commissioned. But my team and I executed in 20 days for a contract of $50,000 surpassed all expectations. My great-grandfather was an indentured servant, a slave, and the proxy scribe seeks send me rather than seeks to send me. He says, seeks send me back to such servitude. Wait, that's so, how it's written? That's how it's written. The oh. whole thing is full of typos. Full of typos. MIT, by the way. MIT. Uh, MIT, yeah. Oxford. You know, Just full of typos. 20 books. 20, 20 books. He's a, we got a librarian over I'd hate here. to read those books. I'd have a nervous <laughs> breakdown. So they went to send him back as a slave, and the proxy scribe seeks send me back to such servitude since I did not stay in the box they had envisioned for me. The journey I have walked is what these true racists can never comprehend. I was born a low caste, untouchable in India's oppressive caste system. And then he just repeats his bio. He ends in case they didn't get it the first time. Right. He ends this section with, quote, to those who unleashed this racism against me, they expected me to, uh, to be that, quote unquote, good Indian. Sorry, homie. Don't play that game. Never will. Sorry, homie. <laughs> Okay, so now he's committing a cultural appropriation. Oh, God. Sorry, Hobie, don't play that game. Never will. You hear, you hear that? That's the sound of uh, Gandhi rolling over in his grave right now. Oh. But, but throughout this rebuttal, he doesn't even try to refute any of the answers that the county gave throughout the Arizona mirror. Instead, he spends all his answers defending his integrity against ad hominem attacks, perceived and both perceived and real. He basically takes the position that it was his job to find anomalies, and he did that. The only thing really interesting that he points out, which is kind of where his speciality is in pattern recognition, is pointing out the, that the Arabella Foundation funds the mirror. And uh, he calls out a practice that billionaire-funded globalist progressive journalism has been doing for two decades. Here, and this is a, a quote that the Arizona mayor gave, quote, Tammy Patrick, the senior advisor for Elections and Democracy Fund and the former head of federal compliance at the Maricopa County Elections Com Department, said the largest number of mail-in ballots also came in shortly before Election Day. 
That became more pronounced last year because of an increase of use of drop boxes in early ballots, she said. And uh, this is just typical. They appeal to, you know, liberals appeal to random experts. And oh, they, yeah. they just assume, we're okay, the experts said it. I'm, I'm just going to agree with them. That's literally how they've dominated this narrative on global warming. Experts say, experts right. say, the and, scientific consensus. Yeah, and the expert is always on the same payroll as the guy writing the article. Oh, of course. And that's, it's just the way it is. So Dr. Shiva presents a screenshot of the audit graph showing that that was categorically false. That was not the case in Maricopa County, that most of the mail-in ballots came in in early October. They did not come in at the end. This, she's just just shooting stuff out of her butt. She doesn't know what she's talking about. So he, <laughs> so he just he points out this came in early October and that Tammy Patrick's Democracy Fund is funded by billionaire Pierre Omidyar, who we talked about in the last yeah. episode. So anyway, that was the third report that the that the Arizona State Senate produced. Now, the, what became of this? So the Senate President Karen Fan she referred the forensic audits finding, findings to Attorney General Mark Brnovich and asked him to determine whether his office should continue investigation into the potential legal issues raised by the audit. On September 29th, Brnovich issued his first demand letter to Maricopa County requesting documents, election equipment, and CCTV footage of their offices, among other I items. And, and keep in mind, by the way, we, we talked about how earlier Brnovich said, you know, during the election and immediately afterwards, there's no voter fraud. This the Sharpie stuff checks out. There's no voter fraud. This is clean. We are just a state that has an independent streak. There's no voter fraud. And now, what do you think changed? I, I'm going to venture a guess. You may think, oh, maybe the findings of the audit really changed his mind because he's a good Republican. No. What's changed between the election and September of 2021 is that he has since announced his candidacy for the United States Senate in Arizona. Yes. He's running for the Republican nomination to run against the incumbent Democrat Mark Kelly, the astronaut. And in fact, he's facing a pretty tough challenge within the primary from uh, the president of the Teal Foundation, Blake Masters. You know, he's one of Peter Teal's apprentices, basically, and mm. he's running a really mm. solid, you know, America First campaign, you know, more in the vein of President Trump. He's talked extensively about voter fraud. He gave, I think, one of the best, one of the really greatest, most comprehensive Twitter threads on how the election was stolen, not just via fraud, but by big tech intervention, like we've talked about a lot of things. So Brnovich obviously sees this and is changing his, his tune a little bit and saying, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I think there was something fishy in Maricopa. Well, and he's not saying that. He's basically just doing his job, I would he's, say. He, he's yeah. basically just complying with the wishes of the Arizona Republican Party and the voters. And this is why I've pointed out many times people will criticize politicians. They're like, well, mm -hmm. this politician is terrible. We need to get rid of him. And yeah, some politicians are just bad politicians, like oh, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is just, just a bad Cancun politician. Cruz. Yeah, it wouldn't matter what his his beliefs could be 100% in line with mine, and I'd want him out just because oh, he's yeah. a terrible politician. He, makes he has bad optics. Bad. We had this whole debate about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greenway back in the day. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. So – but the thing is, when it comes to most politicians, it doesn't matter if they're wishy-washy. It doesn't matter if they're flip-floppers or they don't have any principles. What matters is that if they can be pushed in the direction that their constituents want them to be pushed in. Mm -hmm. Because if the voters change, the voting base changes, and the, the politics will follow. You don't necessarily have to throw everybody out and elect all new, you know, elect 100 new senators, elect, what is it, 435 new House members. You don't necessarily have to completely replenish everyone in office. All you have to do is if they want to win re-election, they have to align with your newfound interest. And this is what Brnovich is doing. Now, the, I will say, though, the problem with that as well, just a little problem, is that mm -hmm. he, with the audit, because th there are certainly people who, okay, they may be pushed in the direction of their voters, and that's good. But you look at Arizona, especially, as he said, we have an independent streak. They elect idiots like John McCain and Jeff Flake. McCain, who infamously tanked the Obamacare repeal effort, one of the big things Republicans were elected to do in 2016. So I would worry about this guy possibly being that much of a problem, if only because with this audit— he was against the audit from the very beginning when they were first pushing for it in the state Senate. He, he was more against the audit itself and didn't agree with it happening. Then once it was underway and once they were clashing with Maricopa County, he was being very smart about this on, to his credit on Fox News. He was talking out of both sides of his mouth about it. He was defending the state Senate's authority 
to carry out this audit because they voted on it and, the, and they are running it. You know, it's their legislative authority to do so. He was not voicing support for the audit itself as it was ongoing, but he was doing this in a way that boomers on Fox who watch will think, oh, this guy supports the audit. This guy supports voter, you know, fighting voter fraud. He's for us. And he's doing that again, I think, because now he is running for Senate. It just so <clears throat> happens he is also doing his job in the process. So – where we where do we stand right now with Cyber Ninjas in Arizona and the Senate and the the recount? Or, so because Cyber Ninjas doesn't want to hand over all the audit documents, so what happened is there was a liberal newspaper and a liberal foundation that sued at the Arizona State Senate because they claimed that these are public records; they should be released to the public. That all the audit documents should be open for everyone in Arizona to look at. So the Senate. Uh, they took this to a judge. The judge ruled in their favor. They, he demanded that the Senate turn over all of these audit documents for everyone to see. The Senate asked Ninja, Cyber Ninja for the uh, for the documents, and Cyber Ninja said, no, they're ours. We're keeping them. You can't see them. So as it currently stands, the Senate is accusing Cyber Ninjas of a breach of contract. And currently the judge is threatening to uh, – you know, as it, they're, they've got a trial date set for December. Oh, not a trial date, but a hearing set for December. So December second, it's very possible that all of these uh, these Republican state senators who supported this audit could be in jail during Christmas. I mean, that's not entirely out of the possibility because the the judge somehow seems to think it's their fault that they can't force Cyber Ninjas to hand over these documents. So there, that's another big blow up. But that's that's kind of uh, that'll go over well. Yeah, that's kind of an aside of the the main issue. The main issue is who won Arizona? Who was it? Joe Biden or Donald correct. Trump? So, if you look at the just going to just to go over the main numbers that Cyber Ninja reported. So, so the big issue is the twenty three thousand three hundred forty four, the nine thousand forty one, the five thousand two hundred ninety five, the three thousand four hundred thirty two, the two thousand five hundred ninety two, the one thousand five hundred fifty one. So just going back over these numbers, 23,344 mail-in ballots that were counted from individuals who no longer live at the address to which the mail-in ballot was sent. They used – again, they used a commercial database to find this, and these people could have moved out of their addresses after their – after the registration deadline, mm -hmm. and they could have still voted. I mean I just – I don't see – I don't know. I have a hard time using a commercial database. I, I mean, they didn't have. And this was another thing. The Maricopa County Board of Supervisors—they were stonewalling the audit the whole time. Exactly. They weren't like right over, up to the very end. Yeah, they weren't turning over documents. They weren't turning over equipment. They were purpose. They were suing the the Senate. They were dragging their feet. And you know, people will look at that and say, okay, I'll, they obviously have something to hide. They were obviously cheating. They're trying to cover up the fact that Donald Trump actually won. Yada yada yada. But you got to understand the bad blood that existed between the Board of Supervisors and the State Senate. I mean, the State Senate had threatened to throw them all in jail in February for refusing the initial subpoena. And this is something that's been dragging on since December. They've been buttonheads constantly, you know, uh, attacking each other on social media nonstop. Like the Twitter wars between the Senate and the Board of Supervisors of Maricopa County has been hardcore. And the thing is, the Board of Supervisors of Maricopa County are not Democrats. They're mostly Republicans. Three out of I believe it's three out of the four members are Republicans. So More of an independent streak from Republicans in Arizona, I guess. Yeah, it's mainly just Republicans fighting Republicans here. So it could be that Maricopa County just wanted to be difficult. That they didn't, they knew they didn't have anything to hide. They just wanted to be difficult. I don't see enough evidence from this, especially since they used a commercial database to find this. I don't see enough evidence from the twenty three thousand three hundred forty four to conclude that that uh, Trump definitely won by that. And then you got the nine thousand forty one, which is less than the ten thousand that Biden won by. These are ballots. These are nine thousand ballot more ballots returned by voters than received in the early voter history phase. 
And, of course, Maricopa County's response was that the county audit team erred by counting duplicate images of early ballot envelopes that election officials make when a voter signature requires additional steps to verify it. I find that number a little bit high. Um, I mean, why would you need to make keep making multiple duplicates of the same? I mean, if somebody messes up their signature, just go fix their signature one time. You don't need to make three or four. But I don't know. I, I don't – I mean, to me, if you're going to purposely fraudulently steal election, I feel, feel like you would um, – that would be kind of an indirect way to do it. And then you got the 5,295 voters that potentially voted in multiple counties in the certified results. Maricopa's response was that this was based on the audit team's failure to check voters' full names, social security numbers, and driver's license numbers rather than take that rather than make assumptions based on voters who shared the same first and last names, middle initials, and birth years. And because the audit team has not issued a response, at least one that I could find, and Dr. Shiva didn't address this. Instead, he decided to go on long-winded rants defending his honor as a former <laughs> untouchable who made it in America. I, I, I'm going to have to side with Maricopa County on this. Then you got the 3,432 more ballots cast than the list of people who show as having cast a vote. Maricopa responded the day before the results were announced that these were protected voters. I don't know. That's that's kind of high for protected voters. But again, it's 3,400. That's less than what uh, what Trump would have needed to overturn the election. So I, I'm unconvinced. And then again, Sharpie Gate, I find um, I, I'm completely on the side of Maricopa County um, and the election officials when you come to that. I'm unconvinced that there has been enough fraud or enough uh, fraudulence found or enough malfeasance found uh, by Maricopa County to warrant this going into the Trump column. Unless the FBI releases additional uh, information on that Kerwin guy and we find out that there was some kind of conspiracy uh, by the FBI to steal the election for Biden, this was some kind of, somehow a deep state conspiracy that went over the heads of the Maricopa County Board, board of Supervisors because I don't think – I mean, these board of supervisors, I don't think they would be from just from reading about them and hearing them speak. I don't think they'd be smart enough to collude with the FBI to do something like that anyway. They're, but anyway, so unless it was like a big deep state operation to steal this, unless we find out more about this Kerwin guy, this mysterious IT specialist who happened to move to Arizona in 2019, who was apparently raided by the FBI without the knowledge of Maricopa County, who was, uh, you know, had his hands in the Maricopa County um, ballots in their election system for for two weeks before the election. Unless we find out something more about him, then I'm going to have to say that Biden won Arizona by the skin of his teeth. And I'm going to put this in the Biden column and add 11 electoral votes because whenever you take out these contested states, Trump has 232 electoral votes, Biden 229. So this would bring it up to Biden 241, Trump 232. Eric, what say you? I think, again, looking at how narrow the final margin, the quote, official margin was, Biden allegedly won Arizona by 10,457 votes. And we found how many, again, up to as many as 50,000 suspicious ballots flagged, and you ran through most of the categories. I think that that's just, it's more than enough. It's more than enough than what they needed. It's not like if they, if the audit found exactly like 11,000 suspicious ballots or something, then okay, maybe the, that's up for debate. But the thing is that when they try to steal these elections, the idea is you always try to steal more votes that are actually needed. You really kind of pad out as many as possible so that you really, you know, it's planning for contingency basically. I, I don't know. I mean, I see you giving the benefit of the doubt, but- Well, the, the well let me ask this. What about Maricopa's responses would you find uh, troublesome? I think a lot of them are just non-answers. A lot of them, a lot of it base is hinges on information that they have that, you know, that essentially saying, oh, trust us that we're running the books properly, that we, we know what we're talking about, that we, we, again, why else would they hide 
all this information from them? Why would they refuse to hand over evidence for the longest time? Why would they, the refusal to, the stonewalling and the refusal to cooperate? And then subsequently, the response is mostly just being, oh, you know, we checked it out. You know, we investigated it ourselves and found we've done nothing wrong here. That, well, that to me is what Yeah, my, my argument is just, just bad blood between them and the Arizona State Senate. Yeah, I, I see that. But I mean, again, you know, as it said, if you're innocent and you know you have nothing to hide, then why act like you're hiding something? You but, know, that, that, but again, general. we do need to keep in mind that these are Republicans. And so we would have to make the assumption that they were that they colluded to steal the election from Donald Trump to Joe Biden, which isn't, which isn't out of the question. It's not out of the question, especially in Arizona. I know we've talked in the past about how Virginia probably has the highest concentration of anti-Trump Republicans. But Arizona would also certainly be a hot contention because that is the state of John McCain, you know, the Wikipedia page of all things for the election in Arizona in 2020 goes out of its way to said Biden had touted his endorsement from Cindy McCain and leaned into his friendship with the late Senator John McCain in advertising. Trump disparaged McCain on several instances at rallies while campaigning and during his presidency and even after his death. While some credit, which some credited as the finishing blow to Trump's performance among Arizona's moderate voter base. And they have little citations here to back this up. Like there really are, I'm going to believe there are a lot of Republicans, quote unquote, in a state like Arizona, which gives us people like John McCain and Jeff Flake and other terrible Republicans like Martha McSally. Remember her? I wouldn't put it past, you know, even these anti-Trump. Think, think of the Lincoln Project, for example. No, no, yeah. sure. I mean, uh, yeah, a lot of them are anti-Trump, but the they we don't have any instances of people pulling out ballots underneath tables. We don't have any instances of people denying right. Republican observers. We don't yeah. have any instances of people. I mean, the only uh, instance of alleged voter fraud was the Sharpie Gate thing. Mm -hmm. And the biggest, I mean, the biggest batch of votes that they found, uh, uh, Cyber Ninjas found, that was, uh, that was a problem, were the, 30, 000, the nearly 30,000 people who voted from a different address. And people you know they can that is kind of what a lot of people do people will vote from a different address they'll move and they'll still they won't change their registration so i i've just i find that unconvincing i find it i just find it completely convincing and especially it would be a harder it would be a harder move to make to, for convincing me just because they are republicans rather than it being complete democrats like if this was detroit then I would yeah. probably have a bigger question mark. But, sure. Um, it's no, not – yeah, definitely not the highest level of suspicious activity in voter fraud of all the states in 2020. I will give you that. Um, but I, I'm still I, – again, considering it went for Trump in 2016, I don't know. The only way I see him losing Arizona legitimately is due to, of course, immigration, which he did work overtime. Trump did to try to stop during his presidency, legal and illegal. So, But otherwise, yeah, that, that's the only scenario in which I see him legitimately losing Arizona is just demographics, you know, like Ann Coulter would say. Or, my, or migrants coming in from California, like just liberals, that is liberal yeah. uh, Californians Ca moving into California Arizona. California exiles, yeah. That's a good point as well. So possibly. I can see the arguments there, but I – so my, would you be willing to put this in the questionable category? I would put this like in questionable. Up. I would not give it to Biden, but I would give it in a questionable category. Okay. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, I've put this into the Biden category. Eric has put this in the question, questionable category. So we'll return in the next episode to – we'll be covering Georgia, Nevada, and we'll try to – Let me. We, we may be able to throw in another state if we can afford it. Hopefully, we can get this knocked out in two more episodes. Right. And there you have it, the first installment in our 2020 voter fraud investigation series. We will be including all the sources, everything we have talked about, every tweet, every article, the Facebook video. We will be in the video version of this. We will include a handful of screenshots for some of the election night stuff we talked about. Be sure to tune in for the next episode as we continue dissecting the 2020 election. Be sure to follow all of our latest content at righttakepodcast.com. All the websites and social media platforms and podcast platforms where we are available, righttakepodcast.com slash subscribe. 
And if you are feeling so generous, if you want to help support us, righttakepodcast.com slash support. We'll talk to you next week, guys.